Well, monkey, here it is, just you and me. Meow? You know, I never know what it's going to be like every week now. One week it's Richard, one week it's Brian, and now they tell me i got to record digital noise with you? Wow, wow, rip my belly. That, you know, that's... I w- okay, sure, here you go. I was thinking something like that, but... <sighs> hey, you know, what's the deal with your voice? You seem like you have a weird accent or something. Do you have a no, cold? nothing. Keep rubbing. That's it. Yeah, that's the moneymaker. Wait a minute. What's the seam? Oh, oh, it's me in a cat suit. Richard! Oh, God, you scared the hell out of me. Oh, oh my heart. Oh. I'm coming to join you, Elizabeth. Uh, hush up and have this beer. Ooh, beer. Ooh, yeah. Hey up. <laughs> it's really good to be here. It's us again. I just flew in from the other side of the internet, and I don't know what's tired. Your wings? I Arms? A carpal tunnel or something. Knees? <laughs> no, not my knees. No matter how much you ask. <laughs> <laughs> we, of course, are the Blu-ray and DVD review show on oneofus.net that rotates hosts every week. <laughs> we have rotating hosts. We've got roll-on plinths. <laughs> what? Roll-on rotating little plinths. Plinths? What's plinths? a plinth? What's the thing you put... A, it's a thing you put a statue on. Oh. Not the artist formerly known as plinth? No. Okay. How do, how do Americans... This is the second time this week I've had a conversation where Americans didn't know the word plinth. Yeah, I don't know. It's a know great plinth. word. Yeah, well, you guys have all sorts of words you just made up, apparently, out of the ethers. And then you just stole them all. <laughs> we just got rid of the ones we didn't want. We're like, like plinth? We're, like, going through them all. We're like... Oh, yeah, we'll keep all... That's a big fuck-off thing. We like that. Plants? Yeah, I don't think so. And you couldn't be bothered with all the U's, either. No. 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 Like, seriously, there's no U in color. I'm sorry. There's just not, Richard. There's just not. There's no I in team, either, but we don't stop you. Well, you know what? I'm going to make my mission to figure out how to spell team with an I. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, well, with the U, we have a b- bunch of titles to review this week. Uh, but first, let me just uh, tell you guys: like, we really appreciate everything you all have done for us. We really appreciate all the help you're giving us, especially with being a subscriber. It's a huge deal. You look on the side of the page; there's a thing there to be a subscriber. That's what keeps the lights on here at OneOfUs.net. Keep delivering all this great content with more new content on the way soon, as well as all the stuff you know and love and expect from us every week. Albeit a little irregularly as far as day of the week goes because <laughs> we all have other lives of things that we have to do to pay the bills and do sometimes we, we got to rotate around that. do we i didn't know that shit i let the cat out of the bag well, in this case the richard out of the bag wow <laughs> hey yeah i understand cat okay that was <laughs> but yeah if you guys could become a subscriber we'd really help there's lots of bonus stuff there's lots of uh, free extra content, a lot more coming, a lot more commentaries coming, so we really appreciate it. Also, when you go to the actual page, you'll see a bunch of pictures of the titles we're talking about this week. If you click on any of those titles, that'll take you to the Amazon.com page where you can buy the digital or regular or whatever version of that title you want. Or, if you get there and you go, you know, I don't think I really want this. I think instead I want a, uh Indian tribal mask. 
or a giant purple dildo replica from the Saints Row 4 game, or whatever it might be, we get a little kickback out of whatever it is you buy. So quite honestly, buy your most expensive stuff through yep. those links. <laughs> Anybody picking up a car through, through Amazon, you know, just just come through our portal. Can you get I a think, car through Amazon? I'm sure you could probably get like a, one of those little toot-toot cars. I mean, you can get Cheerios and milk. I think you could get a car, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, love. I'm just going on on Amazon to pick up some noodles. It's so weird that you can order like your full groceries, like refrigerated and all through Amazon now. That's just creepy and weird. It's a little strange, indeed. Sorry, that's just the whiskey talking. Um, but yes, that helps us out a lot. Use those. Well, the Amazon whiskey links. helps us out a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Well, I'm teething, so I'm not rubbing gin on your gums again. <laughs> But it helps so much. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Well, it's time for us to take a look and see who's been trying to contact us as we open up the... The Letterbox. You've got mail. Thank you, Torgo, as Brian likes to say every week. You know, it's freaking me out now because the other job I have working at Museum of the Weird in Austin, they have a giant lizard there that's name is Torgo. So now it's all been like taken away from me. How did you train a giant monitor lizard to uh, open the mailbox and talk? Good point. Yeah. And that is a question for another time, as opposed to the questions we're going to answer right now. As usual, I'm going to leave these up to Richard to pick the questions that we're going to be doing. Richard? Ooh, let's, let's, let's see. Um, keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling, 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 scrolling. Ooh, um, Facebook scrolling. Ryan Beard, yes. Has there ever been a movie that nearly, if not in too, entirely, ruined your day? Also, soggy or crispy cereal? Okay, first off, cereal is meant to be crispy at first, so you have to get to it quickly. Yeah. But the sogginess at the very end is just a nice little capper as it's all sort of dissolving into the milk and you can kind of drink the last bits of Apart cereal. from Weetabix, which are too dry to eat uh, without lots of milk okay, and you let the milk really to. soak in and, and, and that's, that's really cool. I pretty much exclusively eat Honey Nut Cheerios for cereal. Oh, they are good. Yeah, that's about it. Not fruity nut... Uh, uh, Fruity Pebbles, thank you very much, whoever sent those. <laughs> um, My wife doesn't eat cereal at all, apart from once in a while. Uh, like, she has to have, like, proper Lucky Charms. Not off-brand, not, you know, Chucky Larms or whatever they're called, you know, the the, the proper ones, and those that's her sole, like, real indulgence is once in a while she'll have a bowl of those. Well, Loves them. Loves them. They're tasty, but it's like one of those, like, you know... They're magically delicious. What are you talking about? Like, the main reason I even keep cereal around and eat it is because I have two really early in the morning shifts a week. So it's like, that's that, like, I have to put zero effort into breakfast, make it, and consume it quickly food. That's not absolutely doused in sugar. The only time I ever have cereal is, is either when my wife's away on business, and that's like my, oh, I've gone crazy, I've got cereal in the house, <laughs> or if we're making, like, some recipe that involves, like, crushed cornflakes. But that's nothing to do with films. We should talk about the question about, has there ever been a movie that nearly, if not entirely, ruined your day? I will say the best French toast I ever had in my life had crushed cornflakes br that it was <sighs> breaded with. It was in some restaurant in L.A., and then there was, like, a vanilla bean syrup on it. It was so good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, so good. I should have eaten before we did this. But anyway. <laughs> Probably so. Yes, there has been a movie that nearly, if not entirely, ruined my day because it got me so aggravated and mad when not, like, just everybody else around me was not feeling it the same way I was. And that was Evan Almighty. <laughs> this movie pissed me off so bad because the first movie is this very much, like, very funny, very cute comedy, Morgan Freeman is God, what have you, Steve Carell. Like, it's cute. 
Yeah. It's funny. It's harmless. The second one is nothing but religious propaganda masquerading as a secret. <laughs> like just shameless religious propaganda. And I was like, what, I guess what really made me mad was the fact that like it, it's a sequel to this film that is totally harmless. And in my mind, that's not harmless. Yeah. Propaganda is not harmless. And it's tricking younger folks into watching it. I was like, you know what? From my point of view as an agnostic, as someone who thinks that like larger organized religions are part of the problem a lot of the time in this world, a lot of the time, once again, I said, I was very upset and I walked out just angry. I refused to review it. I was really? like, when we were doing the review on Spill, I was like, guys, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm <laughs> sorry. I, I, I can't because I can't give you an honest review of the movie outside of because of all the anger I have towards what it did. <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's a fair response. For me, the two, I'm going to say two films and they ruined my day in uh, a completely different way to, to that. Um, actually, three. Um, Ring of Bright Water, which is it. a classic British uh, nature story. It's adapted from this book about uh, this guy... Uh, up in the Scottish Highlands, and he basically adopted this wild otter. And he wrote this book about how, you know, about, you know, the, the, the Scottish otter population, and it was adapted into this film. Um, and it's really cute and sweet and lovely, and there's lots of otters running around. And at the end, a farmer beats one of the the main otter to death with a mattock handle. Oh, my God. And I was... I cried for like three days after that. I was inconsolable. I was like, I was, I was only like eight at the time, but like, I was just, I was a wreck. Um, silent running, same deal, just cried. Just for, I was like, no, like all the bunnies in space. And I was really sad. If you've never seen Silent Running, one of the great science fiction movies that not enough people have seen. Um, and the end of Watership Down, which I think pretty much traumatized me for a week <laughs> afterwards. So I'm going to go with those. I, I was a strangely sensitive child, seemingly. <laughs> At least they didn't have one of those weird guys who likes to choke to death on an otter while masturbating. You know, the otter erotic asphyxiation guys. Oh, what? God, you've been hanging around with Brian too much. Is that you? not a thing? That's a Brian thing. Not the pun, not, not the choking on the oh, Was that not really a thing? Did I accidentally make a I pun? Think, I okay. think you... Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, um, is there a... Oh, Trevor Long. Here, good one. Uh, is there a director or actor who deserves a second chance after a bad movie where everyone else has given up on them? Everybody deserves a second chance. You know? I mean, yeah. I will take even the most hated people, like, that I just can't stand in Hollywood. I will go, you know... If you do something good after that, what am I going to condemn it completely because I think you acted like a douche or chose made a lot of bad choices beforehand? I will say there's something to be said for the, like the Mel Gibson example, which yeah. is the best example. Somebody who is so unashamedly act like a gigantic asshole in real life has refused to apologize for it. It's just been a big dick where you kind of want to see him fail. But I'll still admit that if he's in something, if he's good or not, I just won't spread it around any more than I have to. Yeah. Like when we saw the movie Get to the, uh, Get to the Get Him to the Gringo or Get to the Gringo, uh, Get was. the Gringo, I think. Get the Gringo. Yeah, it's a really funny movie. It's genuinely funny, but we didn't make a big deal about it because we were like, because you don't want it to have more money. I, yeah, I was like, you know what? I kind of want that guy's career to completely fail and yeah. him to run out of money and be die penniless and alone until he fucking learns to be a human being. It's like, yeah, it's a really funny movie. But that being said, fuck him. <laughs> I'm going to go with Ryan Reynolds because I think post Green Lantern and RIPD, a lot of people have have given up on him. And I, you know, I, I watched that terrible 
comedy he did with Sandra Bullock where she's Canadian and they have to get married because and like even in that, which is really quite dirgeful in places and really like, oh, let's deploy Betty White. That'll get some laughs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like, this guy is, is, there's something there that like. He, he is the most likable, charismatic guy who would not know a good script if it smacked him in the face. Apart from Deadpool, which they won't let him make. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, who was, knows what the rest of the script's actually like. I've heard it's, it's supposed to be pretty good. Is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, Buried, what was it? Buried Alive or just Buried? Buried. Was a pretty good movie. I liked that. that. Absolutely nobody saw. The Nines? Never saw that one. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. That's really worth saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still feel that there is going to come a point where there is a Ryan Reynolds movie where people go, holy shit, this guy is phenomenal. But I think, I think after the double whammy of Green Lantern, which even, you could tell even he was going, I don't want to be here. And RIPD, which was, you know, he was, oh, oh just a so check. Atrocious. That is just a, you know, he, I think that's the thing. You can see the look of shame on his face when he's do, doing something I wish bad. you could have seen the look of shame on Jeff Bridges' face there, but there wasn't one. No, he's, he it has was no shameless. shame. Yeah. I was like, dude, you're at like a high point of your career right now, and you took this? No idea why. Yeah. No, uh, Some people just need better agents. Yeah, I suppose that's probably... Or no mailbox. One of Ryan, the two. Ryan Reynolds is definitely somebody who needs to fire his agent and get a new agent. Yeah. I mean, he needs to do a... He needs to turn around and do a Matthew McConaughey or something. I mean, maybe he doesn't have it in him to I, do that sort of I thing. I think he does. I think I think he really does. I, mean, I know he's got the charisma, but I'm not sure he's got the talent. Know, we've never really seen... I mean, I think, Buried was as close as we've seen, I think, for a performance, and I was not, like blown away completely by his I think I think he's actually got the chops because I think he knows how to how to work the camera so well mm. not just manipulate it but actually understands the machinery of making a film really incredibly well and I think he ha- I I like I'd like to think he's got the chops so I'm going to go I'm going to uh, yeah I'm there I'm pulling for the double R yeah I mean I am too I yep. want I want his career to work cuz and apparently he's a really nice guy yeah. hey if Scarlett Johansson he was good enough for Scarlett Johansson good enough for he's me he's good enough for me yep um I'm moving one more question from our friend Jack Gatnella who by the way just got a job as a professor teaching film congratulations so, Jack like how cool is that nice uh, well done but he says best movie not on DVD yet. oh there's so many yeah that's um, that's I mean, there's a lot but I, I the ones that come to me personally there's like that I always get mad about because it's just been so long. It's never gotten past VHS. The Woman Chaser with Patrick Warburton, which is this adaption of a Charles Williford novel mm-hmm. that is this wonderful black comedy. Just so funny and a great soundtrack and wonderfully filmed. And Patrick Warburton is the leading man in a noir, like, not satire, but like, you know, it's just, it's black comedy. Yeah. But based on noir tropes and. Oh my god, it's just so genius. Every time I watch it, I just like, how does nobody, how does the world not know this film exists? And the other one is this film called Closet Land with uh, Madeline Stowe and Alan Rickman, where she's a children's school book teacher who was abducted in the middle of the night and has no idea why by her government uh, and which it never says what, where she's from, whatever. He is the, it's like just the two of them in this one room. He is the interrogator who's trying to use psychological and later physical torture to get her to admit that her children's stories are actually hide messages of revolution that she's sending to yeah. compatriots. And the fact is that they're not at all. Yeah. You know, there's, they're absolutely not. She's completely baffled by this, but like 
it ends up being this really fascinating story about the strength of the human imagination that she uses, like her reason she started writing children's stories in the first place to become her strength and her shield against this torture this guy's doing. Nice. Love the shit out of that movie. Still only on VHS. I'm not going to it's, I'm not going to say a film, but a TV series. Um, the BBC in the early 2000s did a series of adaptations of M.R. James ghost, Christmas ghost stories. Oh, really? Um, narrated by Christopher Lee. Oh, and how cool is that? And if you can beat that, I, uh, then, I, don't, I don't believe you can. It was just <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. Um, also, uh, another British series, Tales in the Long Room, which was kind of a uh, classic, kind of vaguely spooky um, age of uh, height of the British Empire kind of stuff. <laughs> they were they were really great. I'd love to see that because you know, and they were on. I think they were done on film, so they transfer well. And that's the problem with a lot of this stuff. The you know, particularly kind of eighties stuff. Yeah, it was done on. It was great, but we done on video. It looks like shit now. Yeah, yeah. So you know, hmm. yeah, especially yeah, the TV stuff all shot on video. It's just like. God, that's one of the reasons it took so long for them to do Star Trek Next Generation, because a lot of the stuff that was done on video with that was like this, like uh, all the effects were shot on video. The actual show was apparently done on like high def, high def video, which was not as big of a problem, but the special effects were not. So that's why they had to scrape all the effect real part of it and redo them completely, because otherwise it would have just looked like absolute garbage. And it's why you will never see a Babylon 5 uh, DVD, uh, Blu-ray release. Probably Never going to happen because it's not going to be, it's not going to be worth going back and redoing all the effects because it will look like poop. Unless JMS becomes like the most successful guy in the history of forever, like where everyone's like, he does some movie that makes people like the whole world stand up and salute and cry and like cheer and hug their loved ones. I think he's, I don't think it's I think he's done with film. He's, he's having far too much fun on, in comics these days. He does seem to be having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And doing good work. So. If you ever get a chance to read his Rising Stars uh, series, so, so good. Also, his Spider-Man stuff's excellent. His run on Spider-Man was indeed excellent, until they forced him to do horrible, horrible things. Yes. Yes. Moving on. (laughs) Anyway, that's it for Let's Just Close the Letterbox for this week. Goodbye, Torgo. Goodbye. Bye. Uh, And let's just move on to the part of the show we like to call The Reviews. And I think I strained something then. Let's just jump in with one of the movies, honestly, I think was one of the more pleasant surprises for me, uh, this week that ended up being one of my favorite things I reviewed this week, which is the film Trust Me, directed, directed by, uh, written and directed by Clark Gregg, who of course everybody knows as Agent Coulson from the Avengers and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and also starring him, Amanda Peet, Sam Rockwell, and someone you never heard of. Uh, <laughs> Saxon Charbino. Charbino. Sorry, Saxon, if you're a fan. It's just referring to you as, yeah, you know, that person. That, that, that young lady. Um, the idea being is that, uh, Clark Gregg plays Howard Holloway, who is a talent agent who is the rarest of the rare that he actually is a nice guy. He this has is just gotten, off, by he's the way. just gotten fed up. Like, cause he's such a, like, everyone just thinks he's a total schmuck. Everyone takes advantage of him. And he's gotten to that point where he's just, like, on his last black nerve. He's starting to blow up at people. He just doesn't know what to do. And he exclusively is a talent agent for children because he himself was a child star whose career went nowhere when he made a terrible decision in Hollywood to be very honest about something with a big co-star. And it totally screwed his career. 
And now he's trying to, he's like, when we see him, he's trying to get this little kid a role. And we see that, like, you know, Allison Janney is sort of a casting agent who has obviously a very on again, off again, like, I hate this guy, can't stand him to like, oh, come on in, fake Hollywood L.A. person (laughs) uh, relationship with him. But he ends up in a weird relationship with this 13-year-old blonde girl, Lydia, who kind of meets him and takes a shine to the fact that, like, he's kind of pathetic, but he's obviously also honest and seeming you know sweet she's like just getting started and she's like i demands from her redneck father look we're going with this guy no matter what we're yeah. gonna use him and he thinks he's like oh my god i've like i just hit the mother load because this woman like I, she's like on the verge of getting a huge contract for like a hunger games type franchise like that everyone's like wow this is like directed by one of the by by a huge guy in the ang lee i think yeah it was and uh the script's amazing and what have you and then it goes a bunch of places I wouldn't have seen coming from a billion miles away. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, the big picture meets swimming with sharks meets, I don't even, the player. It's a very cynical look at L.A. and Hollywood that still manages to have, like, a heart to it. Yeah. The whole time. And that comes from Clark Gregg. Oh yeah, you know who you get the you really get the feeling after this film. This is a guy who has been through some pretty horrible ringers in his in his professional career. You get the feeling of that, and like he's working through some stuff because there are some points. There's a few scenes where they're doing contract negotiations, and you know, full confession, I am a massive fan of the WWE, and there is a long-standing belief that there is nothing worse in uh, wrestling television than a contract signing section. This is inevitably like 10 minutes of boring television is a a contract (laughs) signing. Um, And there are a couple of sequences here where they're negotiating contracts on the fly and playing these games of brinkmanship, and they are phenomenal. They are are just tense. When you, I mean, you've got Clark Gregg and Alison Janey um, and Sam Rockwell as this sleazebag yeah. who's trying as to... The who's villain done, who's fucked over his career. Yeah. yeah. I, you've got those three kind of pulling these scenes in, in, in opposite directions of like, you know, doing the right thing morally and commercially and, and it's just, you know, you just sit back and go, this is this is just great acting. This is phenomenal. Oh yeah, great, and great comedy timing oh. and Really genuine tenseness, as you said, in those scenes, because you are so rooting for Clark Gregg's character here. You're just like, man, can a nice guy catch a break? You just know, You can identify with being that guy. It's like, I've tried so hard to be the nice guy your whole life, and no one else is a nice guy. And what the fuck? Yeah. What are you supposed to do? Are you even capable of becoming the other guy? Yeah. Uh, and, God, it's so difficult not to say the wrong things here that we're going to give away any of the I think stuff. this is the thing. I mean, this is a film where there it takes a left turn where you have to ask yourself who you believe, because the only credible person is Clark Gregg's character, who is also the most credulous person. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, and he knows that these people lie to him. And he's like, well, at what point does he start trying to believe somebody? Because something happens where... He has to take a moral stand. If he doesn't, it's not just him being, you know, bad in business. Yeah. It's, it's him being a bad person. And, and him confronting, do like, where is the line I draw inside myself where I'm separated from these other people who are clearly not nice people? It's like, I want that power. I want that influence. I just don't want to do it by being in a moral shitheel. 
you know, and it's really kind of a confrontation between him and Felicity Huffman, who plays sort of like a very powerful, like, uh, I don't know if she's a producer or whatever she's supposed to be in there, but like, who's basically telling him, like, look, oh yeah, you can do that, and you'll never work again in this town, yeah. or I can make you incredibly rich and powerful. I mean, she is the devil, pretty much. Yeah. Or, but, and then that's not even the crux of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a great addition to kind of like like you said unpleasant films about the underbelly of of Hollywood, yeah. Which a lot of it is just people throwing numbers at each other in in, in the belief that that will get them somewhere. So a lot of that, but it's also a, a really good psychological noir thriller. It, in some ways, um, it reminded me of uh, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it now. Uh, uh, the new Mary Elizabeth Winstead film, which played at Faults. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Faults. Yeah. It reminded me of that, which is, should be coming out soon and is great. Um, that you feel like this had more heart than that. It had a lot though. more heart than that. I mean, that is, is, is metaphysically bleak. This is about yeah. a guy who's, you know, trying to, you know, retain a sense of himself. I mean, this is very low budget. It slipped by, oh, I yeah. think, pretty much everybody, but this is really, uh, you know, I, this is, yeah, you know, well, as we work through, but this is getting this is very close to a contender for my pick of the week. I've got to say. Yeah, like I said in the beginning, this very much was. I think the one thing that set me back was I thought there were some decisions toward the end, which is one of those like bookended by the end type films that like is supposed to be like poetic in a sort of like heart heartrending sort of way, but came off a little cornball. You know, probably a lot cornball actually. And I get what he was going for, and in the context of it, it all makes sense, but. It still was a little like, oh, okay. It's a little bit triacly considering everything else that just happened. <laughs> I, I kind of liked it. I, I actually, I, I was, I was down. I, I was down with the. But considering this. everything else that had gone on and where it was in the film, that's what set me apart. I was yeah. like, I don't think it was a terrible decision, but I do think it was still the wrong decision. I think it's one of those ones that's going to divide audiences. Yeah, but almost know, certainly, whether you whether you're you're down with the end or not, the, the rest of it just absolutely worth your time yeah absolutely agree and you know it's clark Gregg being his clark greggiest yeah <laughs> which is always good. it also reminded me of uh, great world of sound uh pat healy film from a few years ago where I don't think I ever saw that that's one. a that's a nice little film actually it, it is available on dvd um he plays this guy who gets a job selling basically selling recording studio time to people who will never actually have a musical career, um, so, so this kind of a, that's much, a much lower rent version of this. My God, can you imagine a Pat Healy Clark Gregg film? That, oh, should, geez, that would that, be great. That would, you know, I just listened to Healy on The Nerdist, which, by the way, if you guys get a chance, it's actually a fascinating interview of a guy who was kind of going through this that his career was dead like dead <laughs> for a long time. He couldn't get anybody to return his phone calls. He had given up. He was working fast food. And this is just a couple of years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, and then it came back. Yeah. And he's turning into a real name now. You know, he's talking about the p stuff he almost got and then didn't get. And then his career just died type yeah. of thing. Really fascinating sort of insider look at LA from somebody who almost didn't get there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we just talked about something we really like. Let's talk about something I'm reasonably sure we really didn't like, and that is blended. Oh, oh God! I'm, I'm going to reenact the uh, the the uh, pitch meeting for <laughs> for blended. Um, this shouldn't be hard. <laughs> 
Hey, Drew Barrymore, it's Adam Sandler. No, no, don't hang up. Let's do another film together. No, no, no don't hang up. L um, okay, how about we just get the studio to pay for us to go to Africa okay, for a few weeks to a really, really expensive resort and pretend that that's a film. That's pretty much Adam Sandler's career at this point. Oh, my like God. paying is... for expensive vacations to hang out with his friends at places. and like This and is worse than ever. Movie. I mean, like, the what was the one with all his all his buddies where they're just, like, like basically hanging out with their supposed kids and wives and, and partying? There was, like, grown-ups. Grown-ups. Yeah, grown-ups one and grown-ups two, which are just both horrible, horrible, plotless trods through mediocrity are nothing but like him getting a chance to get paid for a weekend with his buddies. It's just appalling. But you know... He's, it, he's, even by Adam Sandler... I, I, I think there's like a couple of good Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, there are. You know, I mean, Happy the, Gilmore. Yeah, uh, it's okay. The wedding, you know, it depends the wedding, on when you saw it. The Wedding Singer, I think, is still stands as A, his best film, and B, his best It's his best quality you. film. I will say Happy Gilmore makes me laugh the most. Yeah. You know. you, what well, you do, you like your penguins. Of shit for breakfast? No, no, no. You're thinking Billy Madison. Ah, uh, they're, bo they're both interchangeable for me. You know, and basically, he, you know, this is him and Drew Barrymore just going. You know what? We've done this before. Um, you know, I mean, th this is th this is the comedy, the romantic comedy royalty of of modern cinema is the most depressing thing. I mean, it's it's not like you know, I mean, he's, he's Spencer Tracy. I he mean, didn't exactly just... have to beg Drew Barrymore either. What was her last really good film was Whip It, 2009. Yeah, which she, she wasn't even a big part in. No, she was, a, she was a supporting character pretty much before that. Although she I'm directed looking, she directed and like, got screwed by the studio on the release Music and Lyrics was okay in 2007. Fever Pitch was okay in 2005. Her last movie I really enjoyed was the last movie she did with Adam Sandler, which was Fifty First Dates. <laughs> I hate to say it, but that was a cute movie that actually kind of worked. And Although it is kind of also a creepy date rape movie. But that's it, a different it, thing. it is. It is in a sense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey man, girls with like um, the, the memento syndrome have to get laid too. Is yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> but this is the other. Basically, the plot is that uh, there's no plot. They, you know, she's divorced. Uh, he's widowed. They go on a terrible date. Um, it doesn't work out by some ridiculously convoluted uh, plot mechanism that they may as well have just gone. And then tickets fell out of the sky and smashed us in the face. Yeah. They end up going on holiday together to the same resort With in both Africa. Their families, which is kind of a Brady Bunch type of scenario. <laughs> but, but like creepier. Um, <laughs> yeah, but creepier. Yeah, well, you're like it's it's, it's pretty it's, much me flowers in the attic. You're hyper aware of the fact that these like even if Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore hook up, their kids are probably going to hook up too. Yeah, yeah. So it's, creepy. It's, 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 <laughs> no, and it's it's the it's that kind of humor that Adam Sandler's doing now, which is lavatorial while trying to be emotionally manipulative. But the, the problem with this film is it can't pick which one it wants to be. Oh. Like, the first half of the film is, as you said, love, just beautifully lavatorial. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to be using that from now on. I love it. <laughs> You're I'm welcome. I'm really in love with that turn of phrase. Um, and then the second half wants to be something more mature, like The Wedding Singer was. It yeah. wants to be like, no, we're more of a, like, we're still comedy, but we're more of a, like, real people having problems comedy. And like, no, you can't be now because you've already made yourself into complete cartoon characters. You can't turn around now and be these other people. And that's the thing. They're, they're both so charmless in this. And you managed to make Drew Barrymore charmless. 
that's that's real effort. And the thing is, those two do genuinely have good chemistry together. Oh, yeah. And there's even moments in Blended where it works for for like a minute or two. You're like, oh, I can see it. I can see the glimmer of the things that worked in their previous two collaborations. I can see those moments. And then they do something to completely fuck it up. And there, there are a couple... I will say there are a couple of decent jokes, and they're, but they're nothing to do with them. Yeah. There is, there's one kind of repeated joke... Uh, where they're all at dinner and uh, somebody comes through the door and there's, yeah. it, it's supposed to be the kind of internal soundtrack of the various characters watching them. It actually, and that's a clever, there's a clever sting there. I don't, that actually, I don't I was know like, if it's that's clever, kind of funny. But it's well-timed it's and witty. edited. And it's genuinely a funny bit. But it's I mean, like it's, you are it's going, kind of funny the first time. It's really funny the second time. You are going a good 30 minutes in between laughs, and that's inexcusable yeah. in the comedy. And it's so desperate to, to make Adam... Because I think it's, you can almost feel it was written like, oh, people like Drew Barrymore more than they like Adam Sandler. So we'll make her character slightly more of a bitch. But it's like, no, we're not that enamored of her anyway. No. Um, and then they, you know, they just try and pull out some really emotionally manipulative stuff with Adam Sandler's character, yeah. uh, including you know, why he takes her to Hooters for his first date. It's like, oh, it's just, this is cheesy, and then you're trying to make me feel bad about the fact that I thought that your initial opening salvo was cheesy. But, he's, like, a bl- but he's still a blithering idiot. That's oh, the yeah. thing. Is like, I don't care what the reasoning is later on when they try and explain it and make him human. No, you're an idiot. Yeah. I'm sorry. You you have to be intelligent enough to realize that that makes you a complete, like, drooling moron to the decisions you made early in this movie, regardless of this triacly explanation that they come up with later. Uh, there's, they, they do so many things that you've seen done better in other movies. Oh, yeah. That, that uh, like, Terry Crews... For no readily apparent reason, turning up as a guy, as a singer, backed by a, you know, cut-rate Ladysmith Black Mambazo, basically doing what Jonathan Richmond did in Something, uh, There's Something About Mary, and providing these kind of Greek chorus musical stings. It's like, Terry, you're better than this. Shouldn't you be, shouldn't you be working on Expendables 4? Well, I mean, or or selling old spices. He's better than that. He's better than that, too. But, um, you know, I mean, he's on a hit TV show now and really funny on it. It's like, I like Terry Crews. I genuinely do. And I just cringed watching him kind of step and fetch in it here. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of awful genital jokes. And I like a good genital joke, but there is, there's actually a camel toe gag. And I'm like, thank you. Uh, (laughs) There's actually a camel toe joke at one point, and it wasn't funny. And it's like, we can get it, and it was obviously written because they went, we can get away with this camel toe gag if we have an old black guy say it. Otherwise, it would be utterly unacceptable. I'm like, no, if you're trying to, trying to find ways to excuse your shitty joke, you shouldn't have written this fucking script in the first. Who wrote no. this? I mean, I say wrote. Some, uh, it probably Adam Sandler and his friends, you know. It's Let's probably see Adam here. Sandler just. Uh, written by, no, Claire, Sarah, and Ivan Menchel. Who? I, they must be. They just gotta be somebody he's given a break to. Cause they, the they must, they will must about be pseudonyms. I say you will, like Adam Sandler is one of those guys, like, I wish I could just despise him sometimes. But the truth is, is like, apparently he's one of the nicest people in the world. Yeah. Like, everybody loves him who works with him. He helps out people who can't get a job anywhere else. Like, to him, it's like, look, I got lucky. I got really lucky. People will show up to my films no matter what. So I'm gonna give all my friends who nobody wants to see in a film jobs. 
you know, it might be for like one minute of this film, but God damn it, Rob Schneider is going to have two lines. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get paid over scale for. Are it. you are you telling me that the residuals from those from re-releases of of the hot uh, of the hot chick aren't you know <laughs> keeping Rob, Rob Schneider's uh, <laughs> mailbox exploding on a daily basis? Really? All right. So one of the writers wrote a show named Jonas. Never heard of it. Phil of the future. Never heard of it. Time of Your Life, never heard of it. Oh, God, wrote episodes the, of The Nanny. The now nanny every, everything becomes clear. Yeah, actually, everything. That, that makes a, a startling amount of sense, to be fair. Uh, what did the other write, apart from probably, in their own poop? A lot of times it's the same. I found a lot of times if it's a partner team like that, it's the same movies. But, nope, two, two, uh, a movie in a short you've never heard of. No, although yeah. she, she, was, she was in The Princess Diaries. No, The Princess Diaries 2. No, she was in The oh, Princess no, Diaries right. as well. Ah. Yeah. As well, an actress. Met her somewhere. Yeah. No. Anyway, you know what, guys? Go back to writing school because you suck at it. Oh, it's just awful. Uh, you know, if you are one of those people who's a shameless Adam Sandler fan, you are one of those people who are like, I don't care. I just want to see Sandler and Barrymore back together. This is not the worst Sandler film anytime recently. I mean, it's... I mean, if you were to put this up against his last, like, four films or so, this is Citizen Kane, you know, by comparison. And there's a ton of extras on the Blu-ray that are all about everybody being goofballs on set, them laughing, having fun. The type of stuff that I love when it's a movie I really like. So, if you really like this movie, there's a lot of stuff on the Blu-ray for you here. of Like, like tons of little bits and pieces of like everybody just fucking around having a good time and i have to say uh you know, dicks the sporting goods store wow they got their money's worth on their product yeah, placement did. of this film oh, man, the product oh placement is so i mean i realize we've gotten to that point now that it is just genuinely gen generally egregious i mean like it's so common even in great films to see someone turn to the camera and go wow this Dr. Pepper is like the best soda I've ever had that you're like, your brain almost kind of just shuts it out now. You, you know, it's like, it's just commonplace. Yeah. But yeah, here it's. This, this, this is the antithesis of when community managed to get their subway sponsorship and, and still took the piss out of subway mercilessly. That was so funny. The way they managed to balance that, the way that like that was clever enough that subway executives, I don't think they could tell. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, eh. And they're like, okay, we're front and center on community. I'm baffled. No, no such this thing is, as this bad is, press. This is utterly, this is not even uncritical. This is just, just sucking away. It's just sucking hard. Well, let's move away from Blended and talk about something I suspect we liked a lot Ooh, more than that. we liked a that, lot more Which than is that. another contender for film uh, like Pick of the this Week. Was a, this is a good week for, it, for you know, underground little it films. It really is. And this movie is called The Double, which is a 2013 British black comedy film uh, directed, written directed by Richard... Uh, I, I never know how to pronounce Richard it. Richard Aoti. Aoti, who I actually saw. True story. Richard Aoti, who you probably all know from uh, the, the band. IT. Uh, well, the IT crowd. Right. But isn't he the guy from the... No, no, no. Am I thinking of somebody else who's in the, the uh, TV on the radio? I'm thinking of somebody Yeah, you think of somebody okay, else. Okay, sorry. <laughs> thinking yeah. of somebody else. Well, the, the, the singer from that band is also an accomplished film director yeah. and writer. But no, I'm no. Forgetting. This is Richard Aoti, the, uh, the, okay. uh, uh, the British sitcom, the, um, the, yes, the IT yes, crowd. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but I actually saw him doing stand-up <laughs> at the Edinburgh Festival in about... 99 or 2000 but he was doing sketch comedy stuff in the in the uh, the Oxford Footlights um with John Oliver oh, and I really? saw them as it was basically a double act and they were phenomenal 
Um, this is he a, was the best thing about the watch. Oh, by far, <laughs> by far. Uh, this is an adaptation of the uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky uh, book, The Double. Loosely, loosely. It, it's practically pretty, like narratively. I mean, because like, all right, let's face it. In the Dostoevsky book, it's strongly insinuated that what's happening is just metaphor. Yeah. Here, it's not possible that it's metaphor. It is a sci-fi film. Or it is that the central character is, has such a complete and total mental breakdown that this is all just delusion. Well, I mean, like, everything would have to be delusion in this yes. film after a certain point yeah. for that to be true. But the the thing about this movie is it's... The best way I can describe this, it's Terry Gilliam's Brazil if... Early on, he decided to go a very different way with what happened with the plot. Yeah. You know, it's a world very much like Brazil. It's this hyper-exaggerated, like, shamelessly cold corporate world that, like, everything is bland and everything is drab and everything is based on old technology and All the lights are kind of this sickly yellow. Yeah, except there it was blue. Here we've got more of a yellow, a yellow and sepia tone. Uh, and you've got Jesse Eisenberg. Formal- it's the color of formaldehyde. Yes, it is. It's, it's like the entire place is, is pickled and, sl- and yet still lightly rotting. Eisenberg plays, you know, the schlub, the, the, the central role of the film, who's just like, he's a non-entity. Nobody gives a shit about him at all. One of the only things that brings light into his life at all is this distant, distant hope that he daren't not reach for, which is a woman who works in his office, played by Misa Wasikowska, uh, who is doesn't really know he exists at all. And he's not going to do anything about it until the office gets a new employee who is a exact replica of Jesse Eisenberg, played by Jesse Eisenberg, unless he's got a twin brother that they're just hiding. <laughs> it looks pretty convincing in the film. There's no sense ever anywhere in this film that you're watching like a split screen or yeah. anything like that. So it's, it's, it's seamlessly done. And the thing is, is like he is the... Like, as much as Jesse Eisenberg is a complete, extreme example of an introvert, like, his new version, which just has the reverse name, uh, I forget what it is. It's Simon Simon James 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 Simon. James Simon is a complete extrovert who's just shamelessly out for himself and, like, steals his work, his, his double's work, and presents himself as his friend as first, even though, like, you know, like, uh, uh, Simon James, which is the primary Simon, the introvert Simon, is, like at first can't handle it's like can't anybody see he looks like just like me the thing is people can they just don't really give a shit yeah they're like oh yeah i guess he looks like you <laughs> but but he's better than you yeah which, so. which would you rather have if we've got to have one or the other and it turns into this god dosty dostoevsky-esque horror story yeah. <laughs> of like existential terror well, and Dostoevsky really was was channeling Gogol when he wrote this. I mean, this is this is kind of now you could always look at it as like you know post Glasnost Gothic, and there's you know there's obviously you know at this point there's a Kafka influence, but Dostoevsky influenced Kafka, yeah. and so like that you, you can feel that entire inheritance of kind of Eastern European grimness which pervades in this very kind of British 70s stra- ferro-concrete collapsing horror about But it even well. with all that, there's a very continuous, all the way to the end, even sense of black humor going oh, yeah. on here. Richard, it's very funny. Uh, like, the director and writer's, like, sense of 
like, ah, I don't know how to even say it. The way that, like, it's funny, it's not laugh out loud funny, it's, it takes you a second to get why it was funny and yeah. why it was really funny, you know, is so brilliant, so clever all the way through this film that it begs for a rewatch quick, soon after you see it the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of that comes down to Eisenberg, who yeah. just is... It really reinforces how, you know, some guy who's, he's not got this reputation of like, oh, he's kind of the same in everything he does. You put, put him against himself and you suddenly realize like this incredible contrast way, which he does in very subtle ways. It's not like, you know, one of them's running around like a mad party animal. It's just little nuances that really build up and pay off. And you're kind of going, which of these do I actually like the least? That's, I mean, that's not just the good guy and the bad guy. You see, the janitor was Jay Mascus? Yeah, yeah. Jay, Jay Mascus turns up. I uh, did not realize yep. that was him. Um, huh. As does Chris O'Dowd, his uh, Aoyote's yes. uh, counterpart from uh, The Aircraft. And uh, two of the main actors from uh, Rich Aoyote's previous film, Submarine, yep. are, have small roles in this as well. And Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn turns up as, uh, as Never makes me as sad his to boss. see Wallace Shawn <laughs> Who, who, who may be the only one who does not get this is clearly the same person. Yeah. Like, the, you know, he's the only one who, like, seems just totally oblivious, total corporate drone. Um, and there is a commentary on, on, in there on, you know, how to get ahead in business as, as being, you know, to be, you know, there's a kinship to trust me yeah. in this. It's about, you know, how horrible and soul destroying modernity is. And this is, but this is, it's visually, striking to say the least I mean he really pushes himself as a filmmaker on this and I think it oh, pays completely. off and, it was, and this is clearly pretty much zip budget but you know it looks beautiful they in a kind of horrible way they stretched so much with what budget they had and a lot of it is because of that old technique of what you don't see but you know is there anyway you just assume is there because of the atmosphere the thick atmosphere of like despair and hopelessness that is around an oddly funny film. Yeah. <laughs> that you're able to picture the world around them yeah. completely without even thinking twice about it. Although you, you, you're very aware that they never, none of the characters ever leave this kind of very narrow confines of like the restaurant they go to after, di- uh, after work and the cafe that they get coffee from. Um, and the and their apartment and the place where they work and it's never even clear quite clear what they do. They, yeah. they, it's like it, I mean, it does have a kind of like Stalinist feel to it in a way, and I think it's it's a you know it's it really kind of makes your your skin crawl in places. And then a lot of that comes comes to Eisenberg, who just really blows me. Yeah, you know, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, I think he's gonna it's gonna be interesting to watch. And then you get to the end of the film, and go. Oh God, this guy's good. He makes such fascinating choices. Yeah. No Michael Sarah is he, no. despite what may you may have heard early in his career. Nope, nope. Uh, yeah, very good stuff. The double, like I said, a hard one to not say. Oh, is this my pick of the week? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, God, yes, so well done on every level from everyone involved in this and. Okay, so we keep talking about how dark it is, but believe me, it really is funny stuff. Well, it's hilarious. Stuff. It's hilarious. It's, you and know, it's, and it's, that's it's, the thing that's closest to Brazil, is the way that it's funny. It's so dark, but it's also really just absurd 
yeah. the way the humor is. And there's actually a surprising amount of extra features on here as well, which was really nice to see. Whole look, uh, creating the double, the story and the design, a look at all the casting characters with the actors talking about them. There's behind the scene comparisons where they assemble footage from various sets and locations, uh, because an inset window appears in the corner, uh, displaying the corresponding footage from the completed film as far as earlier sh- shots. And apparently the most interesting part, I didn't get to watch this, was an interview with the director. Yeah. Uh, the only problem being, like, why didn't he record a commentary? He really should have. Because he's so well-spoken, he's so yeah. intelligent, he's so, just, like, has so much to say about this. And this is the type of film you want to know about every shot and what it meant. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are a couple of, of shots in this that I was really blown away by, where he, where he really proves just how far... I mean, Submarine's great. This is leaps and bounds as a piece of film. Oh, yeah. As an understanding of how to put... You put it together as a as a visual medium, not just a performance medium and a write and a, and a, a script. This really is a, a real break for him. I'm really I'm really super impressed by. I this. completely agree. Well, let's move on to another film that is like some critics are are calling the masterpiece by this director, and other are absolutely despising. And that's the Spanish director Alejandro Jodorowsky's first film in what like twenty twenty three years. years. The Dance of Reality, a semi-autobiographical film. And I say semi in the sense that anything made by Alejandro Jodorowsky is not something you would say is based entirely on reality. He probably thinks this is an absolutely accurate (laughs) depiction of what happened in his life. He probably does. He's a nutter. He is a nutter, but he is one of our favorite nutters. Yeah. (laughs) He's a loon. Like, the thing is about, like, a lot of people like Jodorowsky... They can do stuff like this and you go, I'm just fucking bored by your surrealism. And like, I just, I don't understand what's going on. It's not, it's not connecting with me. Forget, there's a lot of people who've done this sort of thing that have their audience or a lot that don't. And I'm just like, fuck this. (laughs) This won me over completely. And I was so scared because I know a lot of people who saw this at South by were like, yeah. I was like, oh, shit, because I'm a huge Jodorowsky fan. I love El Topo. I especially love The Holy Mountain and Santa Sangre. I mean, huge fan of those films. And I thought this was just stunningly beautiful in a movie I think I'm going to keep coming back to. I can't say I understood it all. I can't say I understood 50% of it. But you know how it is sometimes with this sort of thing? It's like reading a poem where you don't completely get it, but it resonates with you anyway. Yeah. That's what Jodorowsky's best stuff does for me, and this is what this did for me. I, yeah, didn't no. work. Didn't work for me. Um, you can't I, even have an argument about that because no, it's it like, really is. Does this work for you or not? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, basically, this is about Jodorowsky growing up in a a small fishing town and his father owning a lingerie store. But it, you know, it touches on the rise of fascism and uh, the communist rebellions in. Um, uh, the com- in in Spain, uh, in the Chile. U- oh, in Chile, rather in uh, Spain. <laughs> um, you know the uh, just and the role of you know how people were being mutilated in the mines by the explosions and and accidents and how his father went off and at one point became a you know, looked after the horses for one of the local generales and there's there's a lot in here. Um, doesn't I don't know I just was. 
it just seemed like a, he'd had so many ideas and just put them in, and he didn't have necessarily the intellectual, in the intellectual coherence of something like Santa Sangre, which for me is his favorite. Well, that's favorite his best film. film. I mean, it's good. You know, and this is, yeah. you know, this is him laying a lot of stuff personally out. Um, and in fact, he at various points turns up and is kind of uh, this this god figure, like preventing his his young self from yeah. being, from he's, committing suicide. He's or the older like version, who is like the conscience or something, yeah. of his younger self, who's whispering in his ear, and like 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 reminds me of nothing else. If than Vim Vendors uh, 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 in the Nick Cave. What's the Nick Cave uh, uh, Vim Vendors film? Wings of Desire. Yeah. Of the angels, the way they whisper to people in the library things. It reminded me of that, yeah. you know? Whereas this looked more like the... Unfortunately, Jodorowsky now uh, looks a little bit more like the creepy old man in the bathtub who used to whistle <laughs> Hold the Mountain King in Rent and Yes, Rent and yes, but we know who he is in the Yeah, context. but it's just a moment where you just like, uh, I, it's just not coming together for me. I mean, Jodorowsky's son plays his own grandfather. His, several of his sons are in this. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I think it's because post-Jodorowsky's Dune, there were a few comments he made in that film that made me a lot less sympathetic to him personally. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I don't think he's, like, this great person. No, but, the, but I think that's the thing. I mean, like, there's, there's elements where I'm like, ah, he doesn't. He's utterly unself-critical, and yeah, you're the, absolutely right. The child Jodorowsky is kind of a brat, yeah. And I really didn't like, you know. So I'm like, ah, I'm spending time with him, and I'm like, yeah, it's interesting to know what he thinks he was like. But oh, he probably deserved a slapping from his dad <laughs> once in a while. That's the thing, though, um, is that I don't. And then it goes on to this huge diversion for basically an hour where it talks about his dad, and I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting, but you have no idea what actually happened. That's the thing, though, is I don't feel like he's really trying to invince that much sympathy for his childlike self here, either. Like, to a certain extent, he's just trying to explain where he came from more than trying to create a film where you feel empathy for this kid, you know, to, like, build his influences. And yeah. I thought on that in that sense it works remarkably well i i i actually preferred the sequences with his father where it went off oh yeah goes, okay, let's follow young, the father's story young alejandro was kind of a pain in the ass <laughs> uh, and it's just like j skipping around and like there's there's so, so much in here and it's like it's 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 as with all this stuff it's heavily metaphorical oh and yeah, this is almost like him almost entirely this is almost him kind of building a Rosetta Stone to deconstruct his earlier films and by Agreed. explaining a lot of the a lot of the influences. But if you know what the influences are, so if you know a little bit about the you know, the battles between fascism and uh, and communism in the Spanish speaking world, uh in in the 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 thirties through to the sixties, you're kinda of like, well I know this already and it's nice of you to put some put some imagery to it, but then do I really need to know about you know, you giving your shoes to you know, trading your your shoes with one of the local kids. I mean like that just seems like a, a personal note that didn't add anything and yet to what I wanted to And know. yet that imagery feels like it has popped up throughout his films as well. I mean, yeah. There's lots of little bits here like, oh, that's where that came from. Like yeah. him, the young him with the long blonde hair is right out of the Holy Mountain. Yeah. You know, I was like, holy shit, that's where that imagery came from. Like, now there's still a lot of peen, like, to be fair, to warn you. And, like, the man and his loves mother gets, gets naked. In a, I could not work out why his mother kept singing. 
Um, See, her, her doing operatic right, so stuff just seemed like a, a really bizarre moment. There's actually a very interesting, and you have to... All right, so if there is the option for extra features on a Jodorowsky film, you pretty much have to watch them. <laughs> because, like, I mean, you'll still, you can still enjoy the film in its own way, but you're going to get a lot more out of it when he finally explains to you shit you couldn't possibly have figured out without knowing. Yeah. Uh, and with that... Like one of the bonus features in here is him talking for a while about the various and sundry bits. And he talks about that and says, my mother always wanted to be an opera singer. And she talked about it all the time. And this was sort of my way of giving her that, like giving her where she became one. And I thought that was one of my favorite parts of the film with that. That was this child's attachment to this mother that she just like there was so much beauty in her that to him, she was just singing everything and they got a real opera singer to come out and do this where every line the mom has in the whole film, she is singing operatically to. But I think some of my favorite bits, I mean, while the, while the opera stuff, I, I I did find a bit grating in places. Some of my favorite sequences were actually him interacting with his mother. There's a great bit where she kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's afraid of everything. He's nervy about everything. Um, and his mother makes him not afraid and that's a great bit of interaction between a, a a child and the parent which actually that's that's really strong and that's why kind of like i don't know I, it's almost like he he like i said he'd save 23 years worth of ideas up and unp- tries to unpack them in you know two hours 20 and i'm not even i'm not sure that it it comes together it's it doesn't have that kind of through flow that something like Holy Mountain does, where you go, okay, I'm just hanging on well, for dear life. It yeah. it just doesn't feel Holy Mountain even as complete. is uneven, but it's uneven in a way that pays off. Like you just saw a poem about a Kurt Vonnegut novel. Yeah, you know, um, where some aren't we fans? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I, I've been saying that for years. Like yeah. that's what that movie is: the poem about a Kurt Vonnegut novel that was never written. Um, whereas Santa Sangre is his most like just direct narrative it's like with the exception of that really terrible peter o'toole movie he made uh, you know the one i'm talking yeah. about yeah it was awful it's just like unwatchable direct and even he's like yeah that movie's terrible don't watch it <laughs> <laughs> that was his one film in the studio system and it's awful um and this is him getting absolute free reign to do whatever he wants again uh and it really worked for me and i cannot like i said i can't argue with anything you're saying because we're talking aesthetics and pure visceral response yeah. to what he's doing and there's no other way you can really gauge a jodorowsky I, film other than that i think if you like jodorowsky's entire body of work i think this will speak to you deeply i think if you if there's bits you like i think you will get something from but i don't think that it's even yeah. I can't sit through all of Vando and Liz anymore. No, but yeah. if you do not like Jodorowsky, this is not going to change your mind about him at no. all. No, 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 no. Not no, the slightest. No, no, no. I mean, I would always tell anyone who, like, has seen maybe El Topo and went, like, what the fuck? It's like, give Santa Sangre a try. Yeah. So at least you'll see the one movie that you're like, okay, I understood what was happening in yeah. that. And I think it's gotten <laughs> really creepy. Uh, uh, anyway, well, let's get to something. We, we, we just talked about something so incredibly, like, metaphorical and complex. Let's talk about something not metaphorical and <laughs> complex, and that is the first season of the Hulu show Deadbeat. That Say what you will about it, not metaphorical nope, or complex. There is, there is no metaphor in this list. No. Um, this stars Tyler Labine, who is the funny fat guy du jour these days, yeah. who certainly has won my heart over from numerous projects already. Mine too. I mean, I'm a big fan of his television series Reaper, 
I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to watch yeah, that. Yeah, I wish that had been given more time. I, me too. I mean, God, with like a, what's his name? Ray Wise as the devil. I was like, yes. are you fucking kidding me? Why did the show get canceled? Uh, and then, of course, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah. So, if you haven't so seen that, awesome. you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're wrong in not having seen it, period. Yep. Even if you've never heard of it, you're still, you did something wrong. Yep. Um, that being said, Deadbeat is The Frighteners, the Peter Jackson movie, if it had been directed and written by Kevin Smith, with Tyler Labine standing in for Kevin Smith. Pre or post Red State? Uh, pre. Okay. Uh, like Mallrats era. Yeah. Would that be accurate to yeah, say? Like Mallrats era? Yeah, I think so. Maybe a little touch of Clerks 2 uncomfortably at times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't want to touch Clerks 2. No. I still don't get why people like that movie. I think <sighs> it's, it's just atrociously funny. unfunny film. Yep. But that being said, now that you've all judged me for not liking Clerks 2, who like Clerks 2, um, Deadbeat has uh, Tyler Bean as kid named Kevin... Uh, yeah. uh, as a total loser, stoner, slacker guy who has the power to, much like Michael J. Fox's character in The Frighteners, talk to ghosts in a very normal sort of way. And uh, he is incapable of monetizing this, quite frankly. Like, his only friend is a, a drug dealer uh, played by Brandon T. Jackson named Rufy. Um, and... He still, every episode, ends up getting sucked into a ghost's problem where he has to end solve their unresolved issues uh, one way or the other, which he does in spite of himself and his own first couple seasons of Simpsons Homer stupidity. <laughs> yeah, I, this is, this was a Hulu series. Um, it's weird. You know what? I was not expecting to like this anywhere near as much as I did. But, you know, A, Tyler Labine is deeply charming. Uh, B, really you have the surprisingly good pairing of him uh, with Cat Dealey, who uh, over here most people know from you know uh, that ballroom dancing show. Um, as the, I don't the host even of know that. her from that. So. Yeah, but in the UK, she actually started off um, as one of the co-hosts of a Saturday morning kids show, but it had this like weirdly dark, subversive humor. And she brings that here as this somebody who is pretending to be a medium. And she's massively commercially successful. And she's not. She can't talk to ghosts. She just lies and occasionally vomits um, blue slushy on people. <laughs> um, whereas Ty, you know, Kevin really can see ghosts and is a moron. <coughs> yeah. And probably could make a fortune out of it. But is an idiot. And they have the they, first idea of how yeah. to monetize it. Yeah. He, like, he manages in one wonderful sequence to very impressively bid himself down <laughs> from clearing out a room full of ghosts for $100 to doing it for 25 and, he's yeah. like, and, and they're like, are you, are you sure? And he's like, I don't know. I don't understand cash. He, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of like gross slack, gross slack of comedy, like not you know, really. And there's a lot of the like we're going to push offensiveness just the right amount. Yeah. Like, there's a whole sequence with a, a Hasidic Jewish guy who has inherited the stomach, like, uh, of a guy who was a competitive hot dog eater. Um, and the, the competitive hot dog eater's ghost is like, I just want to win this one co- last contest versus this douche who was my main competitor. So you need to convince this Hasidic Jewish guy to eat pork hot dogs in a contest, <laughs> which... I was glad that my girlfriend wasn't around when I was watching it, because she would have been like, this is fucked up. <laughs> I was like, 
I would admit, even I was a little bit like that. But that does have a callback later later on in the season. It does, that does you know, and uh, yeah, this is, you know, a lot of it, like I said, off the charm of Tyler Labine, but there are some genuinely funny moments. There are. There, and it, it is not afraid to go, look, we know we're pretty derivative, that a lot of this has done, been done before. There is a, a character that turns up at about episode th- episode four that is clearly... Clearly inspired by Slimer from Ghostbusters. Oh, I mean, like, no like it's Slimer it. from Ghostbusters if he was a fetus. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and then, like, you know what? We like. It's almost like they're going. We like the same things you do. We know we're treading on these territory uh, in this territory. This is, you know, it's not. This isn't great, but it's not. It's yeah. pretty undemanding. And honestly, I probably laughed at this more than I have at multiple well the entirety of the big bang theory so um you know i think yeah. you know if if that's a minimum level we're going for i'm quite happy with like, that i i think for me it's like I, i'll go through 10 minutes of the show and I, i'm not laughing i'm not groaning but i'm like okay and then it'll do something that's so funny yeah out of nowhere like wow okay you got my attention again and it does it's, have a lot of of, of pretty good uh Corpse gags. It does. It's like there's some there's there's also very entertaining possession uh, sequence in the the first episode. It's I I think that it's not reaching for the brass ring. It could be as writers. I feel like they need to get some new writers on this who are like we can do this better, you know, because it's really thinking we're trying to hit a low bar here. We're trying to just reach a bunch of stoners, you know. It's a smart enough setup. It's a fun enough setup. It's got great enough of an actor in the lead that they could do so much more with this. So I think at its worst, it's just very disappointing that it feels like the the writers of the show themselves are kind of like the lead actor. Yeah, that they've got this uh, like great thing, almost, and they're not. They don't really give a shit. I will also actually. I will slightly blame the direction because there's a uh, it's like episode three. Where he gets dragged into uh, dealing with the Swedish mafia. Yeah. Um, One of the funniest episodes. Which is, that's actually legitimately funny. Um, and it's, there's some great writing in there. And it didn't really, I mean, maybe it's just that the show hasn't quite found its legs yet. Yeah. But, you know, that actually has some great bits of writing in. And there is a fantastic payoff <laughs> at the end, which is like, that, that alone. Because this is a fairly cheap release, it's I think it's a Target exclusive. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, which means it's going to be super cheap, and you know that episode alone is pretty much worth the price of admission. I mean, if this thing is under ten bucks, I'd be like, Fuck, yeah, pick it up, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's like especially if in, you like to smoke pot. If this turns up in the five dollar discount bin, then you you are a fool to yourself. It's ten episodes. There's a, some good hearty chuckles. In it's every one of those in the right mood with your friends. This is going to be super fucking funny yeah. stuff. Uh, it. I wouldn't say it's one of those, I'm going to watch this by myself. But it's a show that it got picked up for a second episode, and I can't help but hope, like a lot of shows, and especially comedies, that they're going to start taking it a little more seriously now that it's been picked up for another season. Yeah. Well, another show that unfortunately didn't get picked up for in a second season that is a minor classic I never even heard of before, a Saturn Award-winning TV series from 1999 to 2000, one 
I think it's like 22 or 23 episode season is now and again, only now coming out on DVD by the great Glenn Gordon Cannon. Really? Uh, who, uh, Karen, who of course made Moonlighting, which to yeah. me is still one of the greatest TV shows and com- comedy shows ever made. Yeah. Until it totally was one of the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and then recently, Sharks were jumped. Yeah. Until recently did The Middleman, I believe it was called. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a really good show. Uh, now and again, uh, is, it takes. It starts with John Goodman, and I was like, right off the bat, I was like, wait a minute, John Goodman? What the fuck is he doing in this TV show? And he's this like really nice guy, works for an insurance company, lives in like a nice quality New York with his wife, uh, played by Margaret Collin, who you might know as the wife in Independence Day of the President. Oh God! Yeah, who I always thought was charming, despite yes. the fact that she's kind of a pro-life freak show yeah. uh, in real life. Um, his daughter, Heather, played by uh, Heather Ma- M- uh, Matarazzo from uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh. Yeah, amongst other projects. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was like, right off the bat, it's like, what's going on This is a, This is a solid cast. Uh, and he's an executive in an insurance company. He's passed over a promotion, uh, and he and his friend... Roger, played by Garrett Graham, known uh, who, of course, played, I think, were you on me with me when we were doing Phantom of the Paradise? Yes. Yeah, he's the guy who plays the one really, really awesome role in there beef. of Beef. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they go out drinking. They're, he's on the subway platform, and there's, like, you know, a, a chaos-like theory jostle that keeps going, and he gets knocked off the, the, the platform into a train and dies. And he wakes up inside the body of a really handsome, hot, muscular dude, <laughs> uh, played by Michael Wiseman. Uh, or I'm sorry, Eric Close, who went on to be the lead in the show Without a Trace. Oh, God. Um, and so the idea of Goodman, who's this, you know, nice guy, funny guy, everybody likes in the body of this, like, superhuman dude who has superhuman strength, speed, uh, abilities, everything, everything but intelligence. And he's still an intelligent guy. He just doesn't have like, you know, he's not the $6 million man with a telescopic vision or any of that shit. (laughs) Uh, He's being forced to work for this government agency uh, that his direct contact and the scientist in charge of the project is played by Dennis Haysbert. Oh my God. Who wasn't in this? I know, right? Was I in this? (laughs) I think you were. Uh, who the best part about this Denny, Dennis Haysburg, like always so serious, is playing it for laughs. Like he has musical sequences, he has musical numbers <laughs> for no reason. Like absurdist, very moonlighting moments where everybody breaks into song. As he like as like, look, you can't talk to anybody in your old life ever again, or we'll kill them and we'll kill you, and you only get this one chance. But you're in this perfect body, and now all you have to do is work for our company to do like undercover missions. And of course, immediately he's like, well, I'm gonna sneak out and go contact my wife and kid and my <laughs> old friend. Uh, and this sort of like the balance of like Dennis Haysburg like going, oh, hey, here we go again. Really funny stuff. Really clever stuff. Canceled after one season. Because. Uh, (laughs) Viewing figures. Because. Not enough viewers, probably. I mean, honestly, 1999 to 2000, a show like this probably just wasn't ready for it yet. Genre TV hadn't become the point, had gotten to that point where people were like, would uh, you had an automatic fan base who would start go like, ooh, that sounds like my kind of show. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. This is Chuck before Chuck. Eh. You know? Oh, you didn't like Chuck? No, no, I'm just saying, uh, uh, yeah, I, get, I get the tragedy of it being cancelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Chuck, you know, Chuck 
survived by hiding its sci-fi concept for a couple of seasons, really. It was like, oh, no, we're a sci-fi show. No, we're a, we're a lovely romantic comedy. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And then he kind of remembered. Then he went, no, really, we're a sci-fi spy show. Don't forget that. This is a genuinely funny show with, like, even though it's one season and it unfortunately ends, you know, unresolved, it's just so much fun along the way. I, I would have to recommend this. It really is. Chad Lowe plays like the douchebag boss who like basically turns down the wife's attempt to get the insurance policy that he had because he just hated uh, John Goodman's character. Yeah. And, like, you know, you get a little fun, little characters like that along the way. Kim Chan, who's a very famous Asian actor, plays a terrorist who uses eggs that have like a poison gas that he's killing people. I mean, he gets kind of brutally violent at points, too. <laughs> It was a good show, and it's a real shame. It won three Saturn Awards for Best Genre TV Actress for Margaret Collin, Best Genre TV Supporting Actor for Dennis Haysbert, and Best Network Television Series. It was also nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding, well, Outstanding Main Title Design, but what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, good stuff, well worth your time. Check it out. So let's move on to something we both saw that I'm not as sure we're going to be as confident about, and that is Ninja Apocalypse. Uh, okay, Let, let's cut to the chase. Um, somebody saw the Warriors uh, and then took this to the karate school and said, we could do that. It really is. It's basically the plot of the Warriors, but with uh, post-apocalyptic uh, ninjas. Um, this is a low-budget film, um, but surprisingly kind of fun. I actually, I like, it's, there's nothing demanding here. It's basically, you know, and it's the same setup. Various tribes are, are summoned to a meeting where the, uh, the head of all the clans is about to deliver this great speech about how they should all be unified. And then he is mysteriously killed by a shuriken in the face, which will do it. <laughs> well, that's what do happens. The job. Yeah, yeah. Um, Especially and, when you're the only actor that anyone would recognize in this movie. Yeah. You're going to die shortly after the, <laughs> He's the like, title. Hello, I'm in for the afternoon. Um, and then, you know, Everybody goes. It was them. It was the, it was the lost clan, and they have to fight their way out from this kind of they're twenty stories underground for no really apparent reason. Uh, for this well, something about nuclear war in the past. Something, yeah. yeah. Like, and then they have to fight their way to the surface, which is like the warriors fighting their way back to their turf. It's the same plot, but it's kind of fun. Look, you know, if you like, if you like, you know. Low-budget ninja movies. Yeah. This is super low-budget. It's just... It tries harder. Mm. You know? It's that... It's this. It's Ed Wood. It's yeah. the guy who's like, Fuck it, I don't care. I'm gonna make a great movie with nothing. Whose vision is not great, but is really giving it his all. Yeah. And you... It's hard... This and, film has gumption. It's It does, indeed. It's hard not to have some fun... With Ninja Apocalypse, I'm not just, like, I really was so scared to review this, because this was sent by an old Spill fan named Julian Brown, who even gave us, like, some rides and hang, hung out with us at San Diego Comic-Con this year, and he was very tentative. He's like, look, I'm promising you right now, this is not probably, you're probably not a good movie. I haven't even seen the finished cut, but he was the production designer on it. He's like, just, you know, if you want to see it, I'll send it to you. I was like, okay, yeah, send it to me, I'll check it out. And surprisingly, I had fun. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, there's nothing in here that's not derivative. I mean, let me just say this. Like, it's Mortal Kombat, 
in a time when they're not all going to the big grand championship. I mean, it's pretty much Mortal Kombat in yeah. a lot of ways. Like, every ninja clan has their own special, specific power, and they all have the very definitive leader of that clan, and they all end up versus the one clan. I mean, even the fucking main hero guy's name is Cage. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. And then, eventually, they fight zombies. Zombies? Yeah, the zombies, zombies, zombies just turn up? Yeah, there's literally, like, no excuse. They're just mm-hmm. like, well, fuck it, let's just throw some zombies in here. Like, yeah. why are... No one ever says, why are there zombies? They just go, oh, it's the zombies. Oh, fucking zombies. Jesus <sighs> Christ. What a pain Get in the ass. everywhere. Uh, and then there's... I'm like, dead uh, tired of zombies. And then they yeah, they reach the resolution, and there is a, a you know, master versus master fight, which you would have seen coming. And, and Which is basically Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader fight. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like both their swords are lit up with their power, so they look yeah, like lightsabers. Yeah, there is actually a lightsaber moment, which yeah. is kind of like, oh, that's cheesy, but, but, you know, unapologetic. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, there's no really great moments, but they're kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's got a little, you know, it's got a lot of heart. It's dumb fun. This is the kind of thing you have going in the background, um, when you got a party. You yeah. go, let's put, like, you can just watch it and occasionally be like, oh, there's a decent fight sequence coming up. And somebody's face just got smashed into a wall. Oh, that's, that's the thing, thing is, these stunt people are actually quite talented. Oh, yeah. Like, which I did it's not expect. It's almost like a showreel. Yeah. You're that's right. what I really got That's what it's about. more like than anything. It feels yeah. like one of those things where some talented guys without a lot of money go, let's do 10 minutes of like an adaption of a video game yeah. and put it online for free. It kind of feels like that sort of thing. You know? I, I, it is actually far more entertaining than um, the Dragon Ball Z, the movie. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or any other given video game movie adaptation. Uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I have a certain if, soft spot for the Resident Evil If film. we were to criticize this on the degree you would with something that was actually released theatrically, it would... I, I would have to be harder on it. Yeah. But as a directed DVD, we had no money, but this is what we did anyway because we really wanted to do it. It's remarkably capable for what it does do. And it is funny how much that, you know, California looks like it's, it's, um, you know, post apocalyptic anyway. Yeah, I don't, there's a scene where something has exploded in the sky. It's I think clear. it's supposed to be the moon. I think so too, but why is it so big? Yeah. I'm not like, sure. I yeah. was like, Some, happened something there? happened in the past and it was bad, and now there's lots of ninjas. That is the setup. <laughs> um, and you know what? If if I get to live in a future uh, post-apocalyptic future with an exploded moon and ninjas, uh, you know, I'll take the odd zombie or two. Indeed. Well, as long as we're going on zombies, let's talk about Revelation Trail. Okay, we- I am. I'm going to. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh oh. And I am rather surprisingly, I am going to say this is my pick of the week. No, shut up. I like yeah. Revelation Trails out over the double? Over the double. Over I love me? the du- I love the double. I love Trust Me. Oh but I'm God. going for this because those those are two films that you that are gonna have an audience that are gonna you know, people are gonna see. Uh I'm you know, Oh, you get your love, sympathetic pick of the week. This is not my sympathetic pick of the week. This is this is my I actually think that this is a film that deserves a shot. Oh, and, I agree with that. And uh, therefore, I, I, you know, I, 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 like, shot. it's so close. It needs like, a shot of happy juice. Is yeah, what it needs. This is this is <laughs> um, this is this is uh, one like, of the grimmest films I've seen in a while. It's the most nihilistic zombie film I've seen in a long time. And like, there's no question that like a lot of zombie stuff is way overburdened with people talking philosophically at length about what's the point and the nihilism and the philosophy of life. And this, that's a big part of this zombie Western. 
But they actually wrote some great dialogue yeah. for these very competent actors to say about this that fits the Western genre. Yeah. So I went, wow, this should be terrible, and it's just not. Yeah, and the cover looks awful. The cover oh, looks, the like, a, just the looks like a straight, a straight to DVD, a straight to DVD rack'em stack'em. Oh yeah, bad, uh, bad, bad zombie movie. Uh, terrible, go- terrible cowboy in zombie makeup thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, when I when I opened the 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 mail, I was like, God, this is going to be dismal. Instead, what you get is a an opening where this priest you know, preacher in a a small um, town out in the out in the west somewhere. Two guys uh, turn up uh, at their uh, at his farm and say, Well, can we stay the night in your barn? And he's like, I, These guys are obviously local ne'er do wells. This is not going. You know, I don't want them here, but I'm but you know, I'm man of God, I'm man of the cloth. And very soon they find themselves in the middle of the zombie apocalypse. Um. And it soon comes down to him and this one grizzled old marshal facing off against the against you know this endless horde, um, and those discussions where it's just the two of them at the campfire, and you, the you know, the the marshal has just basically seen everything in the world, and this this almost doesn't throw him anymore. Yeah. Um, whereas the the preacher's trying to make sense. Of you know what is happening with his nineteenth-century faith, and they, you know, they, there's no concept of zombies. These, as far as they're concerned, this is just you know something bizarre has happened. Is this the end times? Is this the Book of Revelations? And, you know, a lot of it is very derivative. I mean, there's you know they, uh, you will not be surprised to find out that at a certain point they come across a fort full of, of kind of incompetent soldiers uh, or anything or all those things that happen regularly, but. The two central performances and the script, which I, it's the, the dialogue is so tight. It really is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it because, I mean, I really am because I'm sitting there watching this going like, here we go, another plotless zombie film. And it really is kind of plot. Yes. There's no plot. With, but then you keep going, wow, I'm really getting drawn in by this very well written dialogue. I just, it makes me wish, what if they had had a story? Yeah. What if this film had actually had a story? How or great or money. Or I money. mean, this is a, this is a low well, it's budget. competent effects. Yeah, this is a low budget zombie film. Uh, it remi- it's, it's very close kin to um, Exit Humanity, which is a Civil War zombie film, which yeah. if you haven't seen, is, is well worth seeing. Um, you know, I think it's final proof yet again that people say, oh, you're, you know, there's nothing new to do with zombie films. There is. If you have a bright idea, and more importantly, if you've got a good script, which this has, this is this is just stellar dialogue. The, you know, I'll, you know like I said, pretty, the, the narrative is very... It's pretty very darn good the, acting. Yeah. Like, especially from the older grizzled sheriff guy who gets all the best speeches. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, there's some... You know, there's various points where the preacher is talking to the zombies and trying to, you know, him, him trying to pass and understand what it is that they are through the lens of 19th century faith. faith. Yeah. And that, that was what really, really blew me away about this. It was that like you felt this is authentic. This isn't a 20th century character trying to pretend that they're 19th century, you felt this was right. And there's even little bits of dialect where you go, that's spot on. Yeah. It, that's that's just right. This feels like... It's it's weird because no one in this has done anything that feels like 
this is the film they would have led up to. It's like the writer comes from working on shows like Deal or No Deal or Fear Factor. Yeah. Uh, you know, the director has done really nothing, anything like this before. How did this happen? This is this is a passion project. And you get That's a feeling it, it was like. done over a lot of weekends with some friends who are Western reenactors and just had these costumes hanging around anyway. But it pays off. It really pays off. And it I'm, is I'm, a I'm really, lot of fun. You know, it, um, I'm not going to call it my pick of the week. But no, I, I mean, I am purely because, I, you know, like I said, I think this is a film that really deserves a chance. And I think people will be really surprised by how good it is. I mean, the, uh, you know, it, it's funny, like this and um, another really good zombie film earlier this year, Dead Weight. Um, you know, I think two, they're two of the films that this year have stuck with me best because they've actually used, they've done what zombie films do best, which is not talk about the zombies but talk about what people, how people respond to extreme circumstances. Yeah. And I think this really does that in a historical context and does it really, really well, and that makes me happy. And it's actually got a lot of extras on it, even, for a DVD release. There's yeah. like commentary from the director and the two stars. There's four behind-the-scenes on-location featurettes, a music video by a band called Angry Johnny and the Killbillies, which is a great name for a band, and even a blooper reel. So yeah. I'm like, you know what? Revelation Trail is terrible as this cover is, and it really oh, it re- is, this is the This is shameful. It's Shameful. Just like, what were you guys thinking with this cover? Uh, it's, they were thinking they wanted to sell it at Redbox, is what they were thinking. Yeah. Uh, with uh, that audience, really gonna who are going to hate it. People. Yeah. <laughs> that They're audience not, is going to hate it. This is this is a good cerebral horror. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It, it it will challenge your brain as well as eat it. And see what nice. I did there. Now, of course, we can't talk about zombies without talking about The Walking Dead because season four is out on Blu-ray, and I'll tell you. I think season three was probably my favorite season of the show so far. Season four suffers a bit from being kind of uneven. Yeah. Because, quite frankly, the show is split down the middle with what happens. The first half about it of the season is things going wrong at the prison with Rick Grimes and the guys, with a, a disease is spreading through, so people are starting to zombify inside the prison, and the return of the governor. The governor coming back for revenge, even though at first he's one of the more interesting storylines is where you're like, okay, it's like he's trying to he realizes he fucked up. He he realizes that maybe he's not a good man and he's trying to he's meet a whole new group of people and he's like, I want to be a good man. And then I felt like his transition towards no, 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 I want to use these people just to get revenge on the people who kicked me out of this previous town was not entirely convincing. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's it's not to the point of being like, oh, I don't think so, but still a little, like, could have used a little more work. The second half of this is everybody spread out. The whole group breaks up, and they're all over the, the country trying to head to find a place to meet, which ends up being a place called Terminus. There's a bunch of maps everywhere. It's say, come to Terminus, safety at Terminus. Well, the fact that it's called Terminus should be your first clue that something is terribly <laughs> wrong. Your second clue should be that this is written by Robert Kirkman, which means it's not going to be fucking flowers and pinwheels and circuses. Everything's going to end badly. Yeah. In fact, I heard a lot of people bitch about, like, what the reveal was, what Terminus was, was like, oh, that's so cheesy and predictable. I'm like, it's an apocalypse show. Did you really think that this wasn't going to come up at some point? It's like, that's, it's almost makes me laugh at you for being upset at what it ended up being. I was like, are you serious? Really? Because if there's apocalypse, I'm going to be totally one of the guys at Terminus going (laughs) like, it's barbecue time, baby. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, sorry, but what can I tell you? You know, I ate hamburgers. Right now, Richard, you're looking pretty good. I haven't eaten all day. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the stuff that happens in the second half is actually really good, especially the Daryl stuff. Oh, he's such a great character. Yeah. We all love Daryl. I don't really, I don't think anybody cares if they make him gay or not on those things, except that it feels like a stunt thing to do. Yeah. But, like, he has a wonderful personality arc during this thing with his relationship with a younger woman as their, like, not relationship relationship, but, like, as he's sort of just the two of them defending her, going through, we learn things about his past, who he is. I would say that's the best thing about this whole season is finding out much, like, really getting depth to Daryl. So good. And it, this also has, what, you know, in a, a, a show that has had more than its fair share of, of controversial moments. Um, it does, This is the season with probably the most controversial episode yet. You think? Uh, I think so, because this is the one where you go, what really happens if you try and raise children Oh yeah. in, in this environment? And I, that is an episode I think is going to be... Uh, that's going to... I think a lot of people will fall off at that point because it is not easy to watch. See, this a- isn't a show that has never been easy to watch, but that one, and I, you know, I know some people didn't like that, but for me, when that comes, when you see, well, you know, particularly with the characters they have deal with that situation where you suddenly go, hey, Carl's actually pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing I've always felt about a lot of the biggest criticism I've heard of the show is like, your criticism isn't that the show is bad. Your criticism is that the show makes you feel terrible. Yeah. And that's what zombie, good zombie stuff is supposed to do. Like, the best zombie stuff, with the exception of Return of the Living Dead and that sort of thing, is supposed to make you feel nihilistic and horrible and see the worst parts of humanity. That was kind of the point in the first place. Actually, my biggest criticism was that season two was really long, slow, and boring. But <laughs> You can see what they were trying to do. It just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but this is the one where you kind of go, okay, the rubber is really hitting the road. And there clearly, if you are fans of the comic, uh, at some point we are going to start running into the the most unpleasant character. Because this is the point where you go, civilization, you know, Terminus is the point where you go, civilization has stopped. You know, they aren't, they can't rebuild it. It's not going to come back. It's what you put in its place. Yeah. And they're clearly leading to the point where at some point, probably season five or six, Nagan is going to turn up because he is now the natural logical conclusion of where they are going with this. Yeah. That this is... And I think what this really does well is when we get to the end, you're really finally going, Rick is going to, is going to take to being a leader. He's, really, oh, he's yeah. really going, you know... We've seen him go through his arc of like, I'm the natural one they go to, so I'm just going to assume the role of leader to, like, hey, fuck you guys, you can listen to me or not, to I am falling off the wagon of sanity completely, to being like, I don't even want to be leader, to him going, no, this is who I'm supposed to be, yeah. which is where we are now. Yeah. Like, I've learned a lot along the way, and and I, now I'm finally making sane decisions based on experience. <laughs> Carl's still a dick, but that's a different story. Yeah, well, you know what? But he's understandably a dick. Yeah. He's like, a, what is he, like 11 or something? 12? You're like, who grew up during the zombie apocalypse? Yeah, gee. 
And I, I was expecting a well-adjusted kid. But like I said, by, by the time you get through through one of these story, this, one of these major story arcs, you will actually go, eh, you know, there's worse things than Carl. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, I, I I did still really enjoy this season. I still think the show is at the top of its game right now. It's just I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as last season, but it does have some separate singular episodes and moments that are as good as anything they've ever done. Yeah. So good stuff. Lots of great bonus features, as you always expect. God, I always, I'm always tempted to just buy the supersets where they have the ones where it's like you know a skull with a knife through it, and you've got to pull the knife out to open the set, and it's got like the discs <laughs> in it. They, they always put out the super special gory editions. I'm like, I kind of want those, but yeah, a ton of extra stuff on here. Looking at every single detail of the production involved with the actors and what have you. Good, good, good stuff. Now let's talk talk about a horror movie that's not as good. I, I thought you said you liked this, and I'm a little baffled by this. I, is Sanctuary quite a conundrum, which has, if nothing else, the distinction of possibly being one of the only films I've ever seen that was has a semicolon in the title. <laughs> <laughs> this is is kind of a. a, a an oddity. This is from the same people that, uh, the same same distribution house that produced, what, what was that god-awful thing we, we endured a few weeks ago? Or you endured. I turned it off after 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I can't even remember. I was like, I can't take this. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I know I should. I don't try to do this. I, I remember the name of it now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but it, the yeah horrible it, porn. The thing I was like, this is just a porn movie without that the they porn. took the porn out at, like outside of softcore and put some gore effects in it. Um, yeah, th- this this is basically, it starts off... It's better than that. Oh, yeah, it's a lot better than that. Uh, this is basically, it starts off as a, uh, you know, annoying girls about to have a party, and they invite, you know, their sleazy boyfriend over and his friend, and things start to fall apart quite badly, shall we say, <laughs> where, not least, because one of them, her um, father's business partner turns up and shoots shoots himself during the during their their party. This is, and they go, well, how do we deal with this? They don't do the sensible thing and call the cops. They go, oh, well, we could try and pretend the body's not there. Baffling, which is like in film. Well, but the thing is, I, I kind of like I, you know, considering some of the the high profile. Uh, idiotic crimes of recent years i was actually like yeah this is about people who make stupid decisions well i mean and they do they idiots. have these characters set up that it's a female clerks as the title likes to proclaim it says clerks meet scream it's not no but i will give you that they were trying to copy clerks yeah. there's no question they're trying let's do clerks with hot chicks they're complete morons yeah and you could kind of see them making a decision this dumb so I'll hand you that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, I, I like it. Uh, it kind of reminded me of. Oh God, I, I'm having a great day with names. Um, the uh, Christian Slater and his friends go on a bachelor party to LA, to Las Vegas and oh, end up killing God, a hooker. I can't remember the name. Of that yeah, it kind of reminded about. me of that. It's like you know, just utterly, utterly irredeemable. All these characters are horrible, and you're kind of waiting for them to get a comeuppance. And the first, the first twenty minutes is is unendurable because it really oh. like the actresses are abysmal. They're trying the so dialogue hard to be sucks. funny. They oh, think just, that they're early Kevin Smith funny, and they're so not even approaching just it. Just not even close. But then when it suddenly goes, it suddenly you know the the first body appears, it, it 
kind of just develops this really like gleeful how black a comedy can we can we get well, how a, nasty can we get and I, and I actually you know maybe i'm just a wrong human being but i actually kind of enjoyed like it was like no every all these characters are kind of horrible and then kind of one of them like they start to develop a few traits where you're like they're not the worst human beings and it, it has an interesting payoff you know, I won't tell you what it is, but it, it does big, a thing at the end mm, where you kind of go, problem. oh, I actually like that because you kind oh. of go, well, no, you keep going further and further down the rabbit hole. At a certain point, you, you just come out in China. Uh, and they do. They come out and they're like, well, what do we do now? And it doesn't want to solve that. It doesn't. And it, you kind of go, ooh, well, now you've got to deal with that. Well, it was it, The ending felt nonsensical to me. It was like. It felt like the movie turning and going, now do you see what we mean? And I was like, no, I totally don't. Are you trying to make an argument for religious faith? I don't know what you're no, saying. I thought, were, I thought they were basically saying that there's... Yeah, well, I mean, incompetently. Yeah, but, I, I yeah. think they were basically saying, you know what? There's just an incredibly large number of horribly spoiled people. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think it was like, it really was going, these, you know, these are horrible characters. But you, are they horrible enough that they deserve to die? Right, right. No, I mean, and, and I get that. To and it's some kind degree. of yeah. That, that the ending, the very ending, is kind of is kind of a weird moment. Yeah, that I, I was uncomfortable in I, not a like a planned way. Yeah, that just like, doesn't really pay off. What are you trying to say here? But I, I think one of my big problems here is the villain, as per se, is so drab. Yeah, like. Wow, you are, I realize that's the scream part. Look, it's a villain who is not like, a, you know, he's not Michael Myers. He can be beaten up. I was like, yeah, but he's totally uninteresting and has no charisma of any kind. And I, I just don't care. At this point, I kind of want him to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's spectacular, but it, yeah, I kind of, I, I kind was, of got some, some jollies from it. It's not the worst thing I've seen. Yeah. But the title is, the title has the nothing title. to do with anything. Sanctuary, what a conundrum that doesn't even mean anything. Yeah, no. What does that mean? I, I spent like half an hour thinking about it, which is way too much time to yeah. think about this film, going, what context does that have anything to do with this movie? Yeah. Nothing. No. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to a horror movie that actually is really good, which is The Legend of Hell House. Oh, classic. This is one, this may be my defining haunted house film. Like growing up watching this movie going, yes, this is the one that fucking creeped me out. And I mean, this is proto Ghostbusters. Yeah. You know, the idea of like science acknowledging that the metaphysics exist to some degree and finding a way scientifically to deal with metaphysics while still metaphysics having to come in and do its own thing as well. Like them lock and key to be able to destroy evil. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, it's Richard, it's a, a, from a story by Richard Matheson, uh, he adapted the script. Uh, he also quite bluntly uh, adapted The House on Haunted Hill, uh, yes. to which this owes a lot. But it's very much a 70s take on The House on Haunted Hill. Uh, you have a... Or the, the House on Haunted Hill or The Haunting? The Haunting, rather. The Haunting, yeah. yeah. The, this, um... I mean, the director gets full credit to The Haunting being his major influence oh, yeah. on the well, movie. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Matheson should admit that as well. Uh, I mean, it really feels like they couldn't get the rights. Um, But, you know, you have a a, a research scientist who's the voice of reason, but this is the 70s when, you know, parapsychology was basically, it was was an acceptable school of of thought. I remember that. But, yeah, they were like, no, telekinesis is real, but demons aren't. Um, Yeah. 
It's, and, it's interesting in the wake of films like Oculus and The Quiet Ones recently, which yeah. are trying to do something similar, and it didn't quite pay off. But anyway, continue. But, you know, he, he's decided he's going to go and, uh, you know, uh, prove that there is, you know, there's no such thing as ghosts with his equipment. Um, and at this house, which is the, the Blasco house, yeah, which is incredibly it's, haunted and it's terrible Borley, things happen. It's Borley Rectory, yeah. basically. It's like the most haunted house in the world. Yeah, terrible things happen constantly. P- you know, people try and expl- find out whether there are or aren't ghosts, and they all come out dead. Um, he takes two mediums with him, uh, one who is a, a, a mental medium. Um, and it's just, you know, kind of this innocent figure. Uh, uh, <laughs> Which cracks me up because, like, um, I used to study parapsychology and I never even heard of a difference between a mental medium and a physical medium. I was like, the, wait, what? The other one is is none other than the glorious Roddy McDowell, who was supposed to be the last survivor of a previous party that went up there. Yes. And it basically goes, nope, this is a terrible idea. We shouldn't even be here, but I'm giving you a huge amount of money. I'm not going to provoke the house. I'm not going to do anything to the house. I'm just going to wait here for a few days, take my money, and go the fuck home. You know, one of the things that makes this work, film work as well as it does, that Roddy McDowell spends three quarters of this film being the most minor character in it. He's there a lot, doesn't have much to say. He's just like, guys, seriously, don't provoke the house. Yeah. Is all I'm saying. Just chill out, don't provoke the house. And then in the last act, he acts his motherfucking ass off. Yeah. He comes out and gives one of my favorite Roddy McDowell performances of all time with a great script, a great solution to the problem. So much fun. A lot of great practical effects. Some stuff that, like, if you watch the extra features on here where the direct, they, the director is still alive and doesn't look that old, so he must have been young when he did this, who's, like, talking about some of the effects in here. It's like, I was really proud of that effect, that no one could figure out how he did it, and then never explains how they did it. Yeah. And I was left going, wait, how did you do that? <laughs> uh, this is the thing. There's actually very few effects in this. This, this is yeah. a mood piece. This is yeah. the cinematography. I mean, the house itself is a major character. It's super eerie. Uh, you know, it's shadows and mist and fog and, you know, statues really, you know, in the, in the foreground and, and, you know, figures in the background. This is a, this is a masterclass in how to shoot a spooky film. It most certainly is. One of the greatest haunted house films ever made. Yeah. I would say that easily. And it's, it's not that it's like, whoa, scary. It's just so clever. Yeah. It's like the, the, there's a lot of stuff talking about that I've read online about like, like this is that the film that the haunting remake wanted to be like the remake of the haunting was more based on this movie than it was on the original haunting. Yeah. And it completely fails. And this is like, you watch this and you can tell what it did wrong Yeah, and why it could have been great if they had done it right. (laughs) (laughs) No shitty CG for a start. Oh my God. Don't even get me started. (laughs) The mirror. All right, so uh, horror-wise, Blood Glacier. You saw it. I didn't. I keep uh, hearing great stuff about this. This movie. is really good. This is part of that, that this new wave of of German uh, German and Austrian horror. Yeah, uh, it is at a basic level. It's kind of a, a remake slash uh, theft of the thing. Uh, <laughs> um, research, research lab up in the uh, the, the uh, Austrian Alps. Um, with the glaciers melting, something there is a virus which is trapped up in the uh, 
in the glacier. And when it melts off, it starts getting into the ecosystem. And there's just this bunch of researchers up there who suddenly realize that things are going very strange and that there's, you know, creatures are being transformed and, and transmogrified into really unpleasant, creepy beasts. Now, yes, this is, there's no, you know, there isn't a new idea here in the well, general no. narrative, but it's, you know, this is surprisingly effective, not least because A, it has some really great creature designs, uh, including a kind of mutated combination, uh, Ibex, um, cockroach, Ooh. crow thing. I mean, they, 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 the monster so the designs effects are, look good. And they're all practical. They're, nice. There's, there's, a little, there's a little CGI. Anybody who's it. doing anything with the thing concept and is not doing practical, you fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, um, you know, the, the, the idea is that this virus, you, it, it, organisms absorb it and then start bringing in DNA from other animals and you create these hybrids, which suddenly decides, oh, we're going to kill these scientists because that's what they do. That's what you do. Um, yeah. and then an Austrian minister turns up <laughs> at which one this point. Is this is an a film for the record. Yeah, there's a ministerial, this is ministerial visit, uh, in the middle of basically monsters trying to eat them all. Um, you know, it, there is an eco message in here, which in, in a way is a lot more powerful than the thing, which is like, oh, it's, you know, we're messing with alien forces and, and, you know, the strange beasts, which, and, you know, Grey Goo, effectively, of the, the Grey Goo of his era that may destroy us all. But what you have here is the European glaciers are melting. And that's the, the core thing. That's what's the scariest thing. And, uh, you know, it's the, the monsters are almost a metaphor for, for the environmental collapse of Europe. Right. Um, there is the, the, this film is on this disc. It's, there's a dubbed version and a subtitled version. Please watch the subtitled version because the performances are actually really strong. You should always do. Yeah. With the possible exception. Of Miyazaki animated films, because they do get such great actors to do the dub versions. Oh, yeah. actually, there's a lot of anime that, honestly, it's almost impossible, because particularly the more frenetic anime, yeah. it's almost impossible to do subtitles over that, because, because it's it just moving dispits. so fast. But this is actually, you know, this, the, there's a lot of personal, interpersonal drama here between the scientists, and, and which, unlike the thing, you can actually, there are actually women characters in it, which makes sense, and aren't just arbitrarily dropped in like in the uh, the second thing sure um which didn't make any sense whatsoever and it had cg effects so yeah uh at so many levels whereas this is like well, you're only up the mountain you can always you know, go home at the weekend um <laughs> you know i i'm really liking what's coming out of uh, out of the german studios and the austrian studios at the moment in the way of horror i think they've done some really really fascinating very distinctive what was that the, the the one with the Frankenstein working for the Nazi scientists. Oh, Frankenstein's army. I love that. Yeah, that's great. So crazy. <laughs> Just uh, what a bizarre idea. Yeah. Uh, so this is something you'd recommend. I would definitely recommend this. It did the festival circuit, and and I think deservedly, uh, you know, it's a it's a good solid midnight screening kind of film. So uh, let me talk real quick, uh, like because uh, I know we're running out of time tonight about Haven season four. A really fun sci-fi show that started off kind of mediocre, by the numbers, Monster of the Week stuff, based on a Stephen King story. It, it cracks me up that the lead actress's name, not her character name, but her name is Emily Rose, and she's starring in a Stephen King-based show. Mm -hmm. I find that very amusing. But uh, Eric Balfour is like 
who's been in every TV show that's made in the last 10 years. Everything. Uh, uh, it, it plays one of the main characters. Lucas Bryant is in this as one of the main characters. Basically, she's a woman who keeps getting reincarnated to save the small town from X-Files problems every 27 years. Uh, and now she's back, except this time, like, they don't want to let her go. And in fact, season three, which is by far the best season of the show, uh, which is just because of the sheer amount of plot development, ends with her walking into this place called the barn because it is literally a barn, but it's actually more like the black lodge from twin peaks. Um, like that's the idea. That's the point that always happens when she goes, the problems, the troubles as they call them shut down for 27 years. And then she comes back after and the troubles start again, but she doesn't remember who she was. She's got a whole new personality that season ended with that. And then Eric Balfour jumping into the exploding barn because the, the other character decided to kill the, anyway, the point is, <laughs> is that like this season splits its time between, Oh, she doesn't know who she is. And she's trapped in another world where she thinks she's a hot bartender chick. Uh, and you know, like, so you get half the show that way, which is really like, can we wrap this up please? Cause like every episode is just another monster of the week with five minutes of it with her in this bar. You're like, did she have something better to do this year? <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of it being very more just monster of the week shit. You're like, why aren't we all just sitting down and talking about the, the, the elephant in the room? What's going on here? Uh, I mean, even like three episodes with her pretending, I still don't remember who I was before. It's. A step backwards, unfortunately, for a show that was just starting to crawl out of being just another Monster of the Week show. And I'm still enjoying it, per se, but it's only because I've been following it and I want to see where it's going to end. It's got one more season left. I'm like, let's see where it's going. But ultimately, Haven ends up being a bit of a disappointment so That's far. a shame, because I mean, this show that's actually made some interesting casting choices, yeah. and particularly also it's been the show that has proved that uh, Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Edge from the WWE, who now is actually a n not a bad little character actor. He's he's turned up. He's been a quasi recurrent uh, in in this season. Um, um, there's there's a, a number of actors in here who aren't bad at all. It's just the writing is just it falls back. So I mean, this is one of those shows that's like ten years ago shows. Yeah, it's like this would have been great ten years ago. Now it's like hey. Shit like Fringe happened, you know? and it doesn't. It's, it's, it's it doesn't quite have the the madcap charm of something like Warehouse Thirteen. No, no, it's Aww. not going for that at all. Oh, I'm sad now. No, I know, right? Aww. Such a great it, like because that show's almost a satire of shows like this. Yeah, you know, it's like fuck it, let's have fun. Who's taking this seriously anymore? Yeah. Anyone? Anyone? No, let's just have fun. Yeah, and this is not having as much fun as it should be. Um, all right, so then moving on from that, and I'm sorry. Uh, my pick of the week is. I, and I have n had never seen this before. You've never seen this? I had never seen all that jazz. Never seen it. And I love musicals. I love musical films. This is directed by the great Bob Fosse, one of the greatest choreographers in Broadway history, who, uh, who always... And also final proof that not everybody involved in, uh, in uh, Broadway is, is gay. Very true. Because this guy was decidedly not gay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I, every time I think Bob Fosse, I think of Robin Williams going, Fosse, Fosse, Fosse. <laughs> um, it's a semi-autobiographical hallucinatory fantasy about his life where the character played by Roy Scheider is him. Yeah. Like, no question, it's him. Except it's a story about him dying 
like, because he's just ravaged himself from drugs and abuse and, like, having this conversation with a sort of Southern Belle version of Neil Gaiman's death, played by Jessica Lange, <laughs> as he's sort of negotiating for his life and his and his relevance to his existence, interspersed with a lot of incredibly impressive musical and dance numbers. I mean, all right, so the movie A Chorus Line, which is a terrible example for like an adaptation of, of a Broadway musical. I still like it because I love the musical so much anyway, but not a great example. The entirety of the first 10 minutes of this film, which is set to on Broadway with no dialogue whatsoever, is all of a, everything you need to know about A Chorus Line. <laughs> it's like the whole, oh wait, you just did all the chorus line there and there was no dialogue. I didn't even need to see it. It's just like Roy Scheider's trying out all the actors and they're all desperately trying and some are crying and it's like, nope, you did the whole thing. This right is, there. this is Scheider's best work. I think this is his best performance. What? Better than Sheriff Brody? Yep. No, you're right. It yep. is. I mean, it, I mean no, no offense Because he, he plays, he, you know, Fosse, Fosse plays him, you know, admits that he was incor- an incorrigible shit. And a mad dictator, and this really oh, yeah. is like for me. This is this is everything that I had problems with about with dance of reality done right. This is, I think, in part why because this is a this is a maniac visionary who is self-critical and says, you know what, I I produce great art, but I could be a complete dick about well, it. This is, and I, I'm going to agree with you in the sense that this is a thousand times better than Dance of Reality. This is now one of my favorite musical films ever made. Yeah, it's so magnificent. Every song and dance sequence in it is great. The characters are sympathetic and interesting. Even Roy Scheider's Bob Fosse is like, like he's a, a self-admitted douchebag and you still don't want him to fall apart. Yeah. Cause he's so clearly incredibly talented too. And occasionally he does really amazing stuff for people. You know, he has those moments where he just treats somebody like shit and then he turns around and goes, do you see why I did that? Don't you feel better now? And they're like, yeah, you're right. You were totally right. And you're like, wow, he was right. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Douche. Um, so great. Such incredible. I mean, this is actually, Written and directed by Fosse. Yeah. Uh, and it is kind of a masterpiece. It really is. But the first two thirds of this film, as great as it is, won't even prepare you for the astonishingness of the third act, yeah. which is basically the experience of him dying in a hospital and hallucinating giant musical numbers with everyone he knows in his life about him dying in the hospital, yeah. which are just jaw dropping. So great. Now, this is the Criterion edition, so they put together a, just like uh It wow, actually comes the, with Bob Fosse. It might as well. I mean, there's so much stuff. There's like an audio commentary with uh, the editor, Alan Helm, uh, talking about a lot of the Fellini-esque choices that were in here. Uh, selected scene commentary from 2001 with Roy Scheider before he sadly died too young. Uh, there's interviews with, uh, a bunch of the actors. There's, a, I mean, honestly, I, I know we're running out of time, but there's Gene Shallot talking to Bob Fosse. There's, there's a huge amount of stuff <laughs> oh in God. here, including like lots of interviews with Fosse about the film. I mean, this is one of the biggest collections of extras for a Criterion disc I've seen in some time. Oh, that says a lot. It really does. This is absolutely my pick of the week. But you know what? We've reached the end of the show. Which means, oh shit, we still have to do the giveaways. And, the and first, it's giveaways, plural. Yeah, giveaways. We got two of them this uh-huh. week. And the first one is jackpot. 
I like. I just like saying that. Jackpot. Jackpot. Ayo. Uh, now this is. Uh, do you remember where this is from? Uh, I want to say Norwegian. I think it's Norwegian. I think it's Norwegian too. It is Scandinavian of some variety. But the idea being is that like it's it's a very unusual uh, unusual usual suspects type of thing. The guy's already been caught by the police. He's sitting there talking to them, and they're like, "Look, we know you did something wrong. Don't fucking lie to me. Tell me what actually happened." As we see the story play out as he says it did, which seems to be lots of evidence. He's like, look, you can look here if you don't believe me. As he tells the story of him and a bunch of, like, criminals he knew who... All work at a Christmas Christmas, uh, tree uh, factory. Right. Who genuinely won the lottery, and yet somehow all ended up dead. uh, At a porn shop. At a porn shop shootout where everyone died except the one character. And it's him telling the story along the way of, like, what the fuck? This crazy story of, like, what went on with all of this. Which is so insane, it probably is true. But it's, it like, no may one would be. No one would make this up to sound convincing. Yeah. It's like, even you can see the cop over time going, no one would. Why would you ever tell this as a lie? <laughs> and, you know, the worst thing I can say about this film is that the actual twist at the end is not surprising in yeah. the slightest. It's, it's like, you it's, see it coming from a thousand miles away. Yeah. But the film also doesn't depend on that twist for for being a good film either. It's just one of those, like, you kind of want it to happen that way. The, this is part of this kind of genre of, of Scandinavian schlubby crime comedies that are kind of, you know, some of them like the the not particularly inspiring... Uh, Blackout, which we reviewed a few weeks ago, yeah. are really just rehashes of the entire Lock, Stock, and Two, two Smoking Barrels genre 15 years too late. Uh, yeah. This is much more kind of like Fargo-esque yeah, yeah. in a way. Um, like Fargo slash like Usual Suspects, yeah, like I it's, it's, you know, It's oddly charming because everybody involved is such a bunch of idiots. Yeah. Um, but well-played like, well played by the actors for comedic, like, they're pushing it just far enough for comedic entertainment, but not so much as that it's ab- completely absurd. You know, it's like they still seem like they could be real people. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I genuinely laughed a lot. And, and yeah. Yeah, particularly, for, you know, with a translated comedy, a lot of stuff gets lost in the mix, but you really just feel these guys are complete idiots who somehow managed to, managed to wreck the fact that they were all going to become millionaires. Just by <coughs> sheer silliness and greed, and you're like, you guys, this is more money than you will ever see in your entire lives, and like, you can't resist it. And the one, the one kind of quasi heroic figure is just like, just shouldn't have been hanging around with these people in the first place. Yeah. But you think you're like, is he, you know, is his story so implausible? And that actually is, is you know, I laughed. I genuinely laughed. This I did is, too. This is funny and silly. I, I, I don't um, think with some was... hilarious sequences. The, the the porn shop shootout is oh, so funny. Is really brilliantly put together. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to look back at this as a major classic. Nope. But I think that it's one of those films going to take a lot of people by surprise, like on Netflix and stuff like that. When probably eventually it'll show up on there. But and go, you, you will have a but, chance to have a DVD copy in your own you home. You will. Yes. And what are they going to have to say? Okay. Well. Uh, um. Follow, you have to follow uh, one of us, Net, uh, on Twitter uh, and uh, include the hashtag uh, jackpot giveaway. And, ooh, 
Question, 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 question. Yeah, what are they going to have to say in this jackpot giveaway, um, Richard? I don't know why I said it like that. Richard. 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 Um, oh, I'm trying to think of something, something good. Um, if you, uh, <laughs> there is a major plot point where somebody has found, um, uh, underneath, uh, an inappropriate object. Huh. If you had to be found underneath an inappropriate object in a porn store, what would it be? And don't just say dildo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who would actually say that? Uh, our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So yeah, if you if you had to be found found crushed to de- crushed under an inappropriate object, what what would it be? What would it be? All right, fair enough. The next. That's giveaway. the weirdest question I think I've come up with yet. I was going to say that's a really odd one. They're going to have to think about <laughs> that. Uh, the next one uh, of but our. But it's worth it for the film. It is worth it for the film. That, it does. That, it'll it, be good. Choice. It is indeed. I think that they're going to really enjoy that. The next one is the Age of Uprising: The Le- Legend of Michael Colas. Ooh, look at you got that coal ass. <laughs> that just sounds wrong. It does. It is wrong. Um, and this stars, uh, um, uh, what the fuck's his name? Um, uh, Mads, Mads, Mads Mikkelsen, Mikkelsen, who we all know as Hannibal right now from the TV show, who is maybe makes the mistake in this of playing it kind of like Hannibal, where it's like, I have no emotions. If I show emotions, it's going to be because I slightly raise an eyebrow as I stare off despairingly in the distance. But to the credit of these filmmakers are making a movie that is, I mean, it's a French-German drama that is based on a very old book uh, about the that was for some reason retitled Michael Collas, the character, even though he's based on a real historical guy, Hans Collas. Maybe his family was going to sue. It's it's very Bergman. Like, whoa, is it Bergman? Like, Seventh Seal Bergman. Like, not even kidding around. Um, you're saying it's a bit doer? <laughs> a bit. <laughs> just a whimsy yet. Uh, just a bit. Uh, and it was nominated for the Palme d'Or at uh, Cannes. Uh-huh. So, I mean, like, big deal, big deal. But Mads is a guy who's like a, it's like a medieval France, and he's like a, like a horse trader, and he comes into his hometown, and suddenly some dudes have barred the bridge, or he's like, no, there's a new boss. You gotta, like, like, I'm not even quite clear what the deal was, but it's like, you gotta let us hold on to two of your best horses until you leave town. I'm not really sure what the deal was with that, but the upshot of it is he comes in, sees his wife and family, sells the rest of the horses, and then they're like, oh, here are your horses back, and they're, like, not his horses. They're, like, shitty work horses. And he's like, what the fuck? These are not, those are like high value horses and you're trying to trade off on me these crappy ass like workhorses that are all injured and shit. The top it off, they like brutalize one of his, his servants and he's like, no, this is not going to stand. And his wife is like, no, 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 wait, 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 let's not start some shit. I'll go to the, the princess's castle nearby and who recently set a law saying that like they can't ask for fees to trade in your town anymore. They can't do that legally. I'll go to her and try and get help. Well, she gets sent back pretty much dead. <laughs> and he's like... Pretty much dead. Is, that, he's is like, that, not the medical diagnosis. Well, she's not quite dead, but she's dead before long. I feel happy. She's alive long enough to have a tragic death in his arms. Oof. Uh, and he's like, I'm a brave heart, this bitch. You know, he's like, this will not... This, this injustice will not stand, man. 
And he straps on his sword and influences a bunch of uh, people like, come follow me and let's take all the shit down. Let's take this system down, motherfuckers. He doesn't say it like that because it's medieval France and people didn't really say shit like that. It's Mads Mikkelsen, so he says it like this. But he's staring mournfully <laughs> off into the, the cold, windy distance. So, you know, that's what happens. Uh, and everybody follows him because, you know, when Mads Mikkelsen says, you follow him. Uh, and it ends up this weird discussion about, like, faith and, like, all right, all I'm going to say is, if you have a chance to go all the way, if you're fighting that hard and you have a chance to take it to the very end, don't pussy out because you're just going to, they're going to totally fuck you over. You know, if you're a chance to overthrow your local government and you're right there, you're right on top of it, you're like, I can do it now. And some priest goes, nah, dude, that's, don't, that'd be a dick move. Don't listen to that priest. <laughs> don't do that. That's a terrible idea. Apparently, this was a really influential story based on a real experience. And it's actually a pretty impressive, beautifully shot movie. If I have a complaint, it's just that Mads Mikkelsen maybe plays it a little too emotionally distant for a movie like this. But still, very good film. And we are giving away several copies of this as well. Age of Uprising. Once again, here's what you do. You want to go and follow us on at one of us net. Uh, you're going to hashtag it Age of Uprising. Uh, Age of Uprising. Or we'll just say Age Giveaway. That works. And then... If you uh, this uh, this is kind of the French Robin Hood uh, legend in a lot of ways, but you know, yeah. uh, um, okay, because it hasn't been done in a while, and the last few attempts have not been that successful. And I don't even like the BBC, the most recent BBC version. Um, if you were going to cast uh, a new version of Robin Hood, who would you have as Robin Hood? Ah, there you go. That's a good question. Historical. Actually. I don't know. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> anyway, that's a good one. Thank you so much. This episode of Digital Noise has come to a close. Aww. I'm sorry. Aww. Now we haven't had any sleep for like 17 days while Aww. we've been recording this. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you to everybody for sticking around for this because this has been a, this has been a monster week, and I've got to say, there's been. I mean, when I when I called it uh, for Revelation Trail, I had specific reasons, but there have been. This has been, I think, one of the best weeks I can remember for the kind of titles week. you may not have heard of that you really like should. Definitely break the right. It was a good up. week for either old classics that may have kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. Yeah. I mean, even all that jazz, most people today, like in their 20s, they don't know what all that jazz is. They never even heard it. They think it's a song. Yeah. You know? So much good stuff out there yeah. uh, in this episode. But thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to click on our Amazon links. Meanwhile, uh, what is it that you've been with Brian more than me lately? What does he say? Uh, Where's me trousers? Yeah, he says that, but he says yeah. no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion, Criterion to, to catastrophe, catastrophe, we review them all. We Bye. 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 Bye.